Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 50. Lee and Tiffany Lakoski from Crush TV. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Lane Benoit, Master Tracker. You're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes. I'm Lee Lukowski. And I'm Tiffany Lukowski. And you're listening to our favorite hunting podcast on iTunes. This is Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors. And you're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes. This is Milo Hansen. This is Jay Fish, the owner of the world record Johnny Kingbuck. And you're listening to the world record podcast. The Big Buck Registry Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. I'm here with my good friend and field correspondent from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. What's happening, Dusty? Yo, yo, yo. It, it's definitely happening. You know, I, I'm pumped up, jacked up. You know, th- this podcast is awesome. It's going to be awesome all the way around. Nice. What's happening over at uh, Chubby Tines? You know, people are, are starting a turkey hunt, and the chubby gobblers are hitting the dirt. That's what's beautiful. going on. What's going on with the Big Buck Registry? Big Buck Registry is uh, is getting it done. We, you know, we uh, we had a little email situation, like a internet national incident on the big buck registry over the last week we had a uh, a fellow by the name of neville grieve from australia decided to call us a bunch of uh, gun nuts and that how would how would we feel if he took one of our family members shot him and put him in the back of a pickup truck and took a picture well i didn't take too kindly to that so i took a picture of it on my phone and posted it on the big buck registry and I think Neville got an earful. <laughs> I was not you happy. Love, you gotta love a good anti. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, yeah, no, they're, they're no, popping up more and more. Nothing they're against ever. Australians. We love Australians, but Neville, don't ever do that again. Absolutely. You know, uh, are you are you psyched up about who we're talking Dude, about? This is the best. Is it, my life since the creation of the podcast and the people and the, that we've got to meet along the way. It has been off the charts. Absolutely, you know and. As far as couldn't have two better people uh, that that are kind, caring, and love what they do to be joining us tonight. Yeah, and it's such a great American story. That's what I love about this. It's all American. I mean, just through and through. About yeah, the, the the passion for what they do is phenomenal. The passion, the the you know, starting out with no money and 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 going through financial difficulties and then getting back on track and and just doing everything you love and believe in. This is what this show is all about tonight. Absolutely, you know, and we're very, very fortunate to be behind these mics with um, two awesome, kind, caring, love what they do hunters yep. that Lee and Tiffany are. Lee and Tiffany, Lee and Tiffany Lakoski from the Crush, the Crush TV. They are joining us today on the Big Buck Podcast. You know, it, it don't get no better, and uh, we're going to pull some information that uh, you know you may not ever heard. We're, we're going to get uh, into little details on some food plots and. We're going to kind of just ask some questions that uh, normal people, everyday people would, would want to know. And we've got some viewer questions, too, that we're going to throw at them. Yeah, I threw out the question.
person on Facebook. And so if you're a Facebook follower and you're listening to the show, chances are I asked your question and mentioned your name to Lee and Tiffany, and they answered your question. So it's awesome. Absolutely. Let's get them on the line. Let's do it. Hello. Hello. Is this Tiffany? This is Tiffany. Hey, Tiffany. It's Jay Scott from the Big Buck Registry. How are you? Hi, Jay. I am fabulous. How are you tonight? Ah, you know, living the dream. We are psyched to have you on the show. Um, thanks for uh, agreeing to be on the show back at the Great American Outdoor Show um, not too long ago. Uh, we, we waited in line a couple times, and we finally got you at the end when you were wrapping up. And uh, you handed us Linda's card, and you said, yeah, we'll do it. We love to be on anything like this. I mean, anytime we get talk here, it is like just right up our alley. I said, I have to apologize. Lee's not here, but he's planting corn. We're fighting, getting in our crops before the rain actually hits. So um, he is still on a tractor out in the field right now as we speak. That's a good man right there, out there still still planting the seed. That's great. Uh, is, oh, is, yeah. he pl- is he planting row crop or is he actually food plotting? This is food plot stuff, but we do row crop now too. So like all in all, um, I think this year we're planting about 480 acres of food plots and then we have like 300 of row crops. So nice. We're up to about eh, almost 900 acres now total of, that we're doing we said we had to redo a bunch of clover too because of our drought last year. So a lot of our stuff died. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Now, Dusty is a, is a, he knows about farming and he knows about corn. He, so he's he's going to be able to keep up with you guys um, on this conversation. I, however, don't know <laughs> anything about corn um, except that it tastes good. So I was going to say except that it tastes good and uh, it's a good thing to eat in the summer. Yes. Yep. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're talking field corn, not sweet corn. Okay. All right. See. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm in New Hampshire, and you know we do grow some cow corn for for food, but um, it's not a crop. You know, we do, we don't have a lot of crops like you would in Ohio um, or yeah. I was going to say New Hampshire is known for a lot of things, but row crop is usually not. It's not known for that exactly. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, yep. for, I'm fortunate enough that there's cornfields everywhere here in Ohio. So you know, and I've been ra- I was raised on a farm, and it, it's in my blood, I guess. Yep. Uh, Tiffany, how, where, where did you grow up? Uh, both Lee and I actually grew up in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, which is just a suburb right outside of Minneapolis. And uh, basically, we both grew up about three miles away from each other. However, we didn't know each other until later on in life. But we both grew up looking at the IDS Tower, you know, smack in the middle of the city. Interesting. So so you're both city folk growing up and then moved to the country? Straight up. No yeah, kidding. can you believe that? It's crazy. That's crazy. Now, what, what changed your life? What, what made you want to do that? Well, I mean, I would say, you know, both Lee and I, um, especially once we had met, I mean, I grew up like going up to the cabin. That was like a big thing up in Minnesota. Everybody had like a, a lake cabin. And so I grew up, you know, up fishing and stuff. Right. And uh, Lee grew up like going to his grandparents' place up in northern Minnesota, which, you know, that's where he started to hunt. And so, I mean, I always kind of knew, both. I, I would say both of us always knew that we didn't want to, you know, live in the city forever. So when uh, the opportunity came up to move to Iowa, we were both like, heck yeah. That's pretty cool. So uh, so what the, what year did you you kind of move away? That's an easy one because we moved the same year we got married and we are celebrating our 11 year anniversary this August. So um, that was in 2000. I was like, that's so easy. And now I'm like, wait, what year was that? <laughs> it was in, we got married in uh, 2003. And actually, right after we got married, Lee quit his job as a chemical engineer in Minnesota. Oh, wow. And uh, we had just bought our first piece of property down in Iowa. And it was just building like a little hunting cabin, you know, that we were going to have down here. 
And after he quit his job, he's like, you want to move down to Iowa? And I was like, um, okay. And literally we packed up and moved like two weeks after we got married. That's crazy. So 11 years ago, Lee was a chemical engineer. Correct. Right. Most theoretically, he's still a chemical engineer. However, he was working as a chemical engineer. Right. Working. And what were you doing? I was a flight attendant for Northwest Airlines. No way. Yeah. For 10 years, actually. So it worked out perfect when we started dating and Lee was such a white tail net. And of course, I wasn't, you know, a deer nut at the time. And, you know, I, I said to this day, I I do not think that we've ever been on like a real date per day. I have drunk <laughs> over to Mexico every once in a while, you know, but other than that, it was always, hey, do you want to go to Nebraska to look at the new property? It's like, you want to go to Colorado? And it was always revolved around, you know, like hunting spots. And it worked out perfect because I had flight benefits that so we flew for free everywhere. So um, that's what we used to do back then. No kidding. So you were in the, the public um, arena in a sense, being a flight attendant. But Lee was really like a, a science nerd, really, right? I mean, kind of. He, he, well, he, I don't know if he would call himself that. He would say he was more, you know, he worked at an oil refinery. But, uh, um, okay. yeah, I mean, you know, he was kind of a brainiac, which is amazing that he went from that to this. Gotcha. So that's, that's like cool nerd. That's awesome. Actually, you know what that was? That was, Lee was able to, his entire life has been finagled around deer. So right. he was able to, if you ask him, he'd be like, did you really want to be a chemical engineer? And he would say, well, no, I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to get a real job. You know, it's like, as long as I was in school, I could work my hunting time around, you know, my schooling. And so when he took a job, he took a job specifically that was like shift work. So he would be able to like manipulate his schedule. So he would have, you know, ample time off for to deer hunt. And it worked out perfect because with his schedule, he was able to take off like half of October and all of November just by like banking up his days, you know, to use the word shift. And then I used to be able to do the same thing as a flight attendant. So it was always, you know, we always got to hunt together and always had a bunch of time off together like that. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to step in there. It, a lot of people think farming is just putting seeds in the ground and they grow. His engineering degree uh, is just taking farming to the next level. And it, it definitely... 1,000%. Wow. Yeah, for sure. You know, and just from where I come from and, and what I know about farming and you know, I come from working, no kidding, we farm 12,000 acres. And that's no no joke. What I learned there and what plays in the role with my deer hunting, you know, Lee couldn't be a better person to be planting food plots or growing crops because he's got the math. He's got the science. He's got it all, and, and, and he's capable of comprehending what it takes to grow great crops. Yeah, you know what? You are absolutely 100% correct, and I remember when we first started doing some food plot stuff, you're right. People think, oh, you just put some seed in the ground, that's it. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much more to actually planting a food plot, or especially when you're doing your, like, your big harvest stuff, you know, your 12,000 acres. I mean, that's like seriously legit, but it's uh, his engineering degree, degree has definitely come into play because, I mean, you know, he wasn't a farmer, so everything that we've ever done has just been self-taught and learned and, you know, you, you have no idea, like, what a big difference that your soil type makes and, you know, your copper fertilization and, I mean, just as an engineer, I mean, for him, everything has to be perfect, you know, because right. that's just the way his mind right. works. So, uh, a lot of stuff has actually come into play from, you know, his engineering degree. I mean, even just, you know, mixing of your chemicals and all the stuff that that goes into it, you know, making sure you're right chemicals, but yeah, you're right. So a lot of people think that, oh, I'm just going to go find a food product. Like, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it just, it, if you, if, if you see like photos of your guys' food plots and, and versus somebody that don't know that, that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they're, they're just, they get the best seed and best this and that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to call bull crap there because it takes more than just seed. It takes more than just having somebody's name on a bag. It takes somebody that actually spends the time to check the pH, to do the soil samples, you know, 
know, and that's where Lee plays a big role in with his engineering oh, degree. Yeah. Is capable of comprehending what it takes to have phenomenal food plots. And I, that, that was something I was going to get to tonight. Was getting that in there that you know you guys don't have great food plots because somebody else is planting it for you. You got great food plots because Lee and yourself put the time and the effort into to having the best soil to produce the best food plots. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, it's always been like that. I mean, even when we didn't have a dime to our name, every penny we ever had was fed to you know make have better food plots and 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 you're right i mean that's just you know like i said that lee takes all of that so personally and i mean every food plot that gets planted now we do have help with just some disking and some stuff like that but everything that's actually planted is all lee so i mean he plants every seed and all of those acres that we do because he's such a perfectionist and the thing is it's like if it doesn't come up he doesn't want to like he, he knows the reason usually if something gets screwed up and he doesn't want to you know, he doesn't want to blame any of the other guys for anything they've done because I was like, why don't you have Michael so, you know, hit the soil finisher on that? He's like, no worries, that's an important field. As this is today, he's like, it's an important field. So if something goes wrong, I want it to be myself that screwed it up, not someone else. I'm like, all right. That's so, awesome. You know, it, it shows. It shows. Your food pots are phenomenal, and it, it definitely shows that they've been well cared for with the proper techniques it takes to to get tonnage and, and get great yielding uh, crops out. Well, and you know, like everything that we've done, it's just been self-taught. It's been by mistake after mistake after mistake, you know, and, and, and just learning from everything that we've done wrong in the past now to, to he's got it pretty much down to a science now, what he needs. And, you know, but every year it's really, it's still um, the learning process. You know, it's like we have some fields that you're like, okay, it's still, I mean, after three years, we it hasn't come up. What What is the deal? And, you know, you really start digging into it and, you know, we had like a compactation problem with one of them. It's like, you know, the roots couldn't actually get down deep enough. And I mean, it's just, it really is amazing. I mean, there was really a lot more involved in this than I would have had any idea years ago. Right. Oh, yeah. But it's awesome. I mean, it's so like rewarding when, you know, to watch your fields come up once you, you put all that hard work into them. So Lee's a, a detail guy. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So he's detailed. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and uh, you get to reap the, uh, the benefits of the fruit fruits because of his detailed engineering science background. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, now, but but it's rubbed off on me. I'm not necessarily as detail-orientated as he is, you know, and right. we just our personalities. That's why we do so well together. But, you know, even today out in one of our clover fields, as I was, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're just the helper, you're just kind of there in case they need something, you help move the stuff and everything. It's like I move a lot of the tractors, but I, I, I mow clover, but I don't plant and I don't I don't disc on a big, big yep. tractors, you know. Do you think- um, because it's like, it's sort of, you mean, it's, it's legit. I mean, it's like they're, they're dangerous. You got to know what you're doing. And it's like, I could do all the little stuff, but not on the big, big tractors. But I was out there like hand picking weeds out. I thought, oh boy. Right. <laughs> He's rubbing off on me. There you go. <laughs> but it's like I could stand them, you know. <laughs> so, Sometimes you do that, though. I mean, it just that's what happens. You you know, it's got to get out of there. Absolutely. It's got to be a good balance, though, between if you're not as detail oriented and he is, it's got to be a good balance in the relationship. It's a perfect balance, actually. I mean, I don't, I don't think either it would work if either one of us were like the other 100%. I mean, obviously, if I had a mind like him, you know, we would butt heads constantly. And if he had a mind like me, we'd be laying out in the sun half the time, you know, drinking cocktails, <laughs> reading a magazine. So it actually, I mean, he, he definitely brings out, you know, the best in me. And I, I feel like I do the same for him. So we're definitely a good balance of each other. We, we complement each other well, which is good because, you know, we're together 24-7. That's cool. How did you guys meet? 
Well, Lee, actually, we grew up in the same town, but um, he is nine years older than I am, and uh, he's got five sisters, and I used to hang out with one of his younger sisters. So I met him when I was, like, 16 or 17, but he, like, ignored me for many years after that. <laughs> and uh, um, and we overlapped in college. I was just starting college, or he was finishing college, and kind of started hanging out then, and then started dating a little while after that, and have been together ever since. Gotcha. What was your maiden name, Tiffany? My maiden name was Profant. Tiffany Profont. Profont. So Profont and Lakoski. Correct. Now, what type of nationality is Lakoski? He is Russian and Polish. Russian and Polish. He's a man after my own my own heart. That's, I have some <laughs> serious roots in, in Russian and Polish myself. That's a good group. Yes, it is. All right. How did you come up with the name The Crush? Well, uh, we we our first show was called Getting Close. It's not like Getting Close. And uh, after, I think we did four seasons of that. After doing that for like four years, we decided that, you know, I mean, when you first start a TV show, I mean, it's so hard to get started. And I mean, Bentlock gave us a great opportunity, but ultimately it was still their show. And so we decided that, you know, to take it to the next level and where we want to go with it, we need to be the owners of it. And it kind of was at the same time where all the internet stuff was starting to get really, really popular and there were a lot of new shows and networks coming out. And so we had to go kind of something totally different because like all the domain names for anything hunting had already been taken. You know, it's like to try to come up with some new hunting name was like, oh my gosh, how would you ever do that? And so, you know, we kind of sat on it for a while. Everybody had some ideas, you know, there's about 10 of us all kind of involved in it. And we we happened to be, like, our friend Brad Penny was playing baseball at the time. And uh, we happened to be at a game of Brad Penny's. And Lee's like, what about the crush? And all of us were kind of like, huh, that's kind of good, you know, because it's like, okay, I crushed an animal. I got a crush on you, like you know, because there's obviously a couple. I mean, just kind of a couple things that it had different meanings to, too. And so we sat on it for a couple of weeks and couldn't come up with anything else. And we always kept going back to the crush and that's what that. And here we are. It's a, it's a pretty good name. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it kind of spells the, I, I like that it kind of covers the, the couple thing, but it's also a crush on the, the outdoors and hunting and all that stuff. A crush can mean a lot of different things, right? Yeah, it sure can. So you're, you're friends with Brad Penny. Um, yep. Yep. We're friends with Brad Penny. He owned a farm in Iowa, but he just sold it because um, he's uh, living in, in Kansas now. Gotcha. And uh, Brad's a, a big professional baseball player. And how did yeah, you... he was a pitcher for many years, but yeah. I, I think he's retired now. Yeah, I think he has retired. But he was great in his day. There's no question about yeah, it. Yeah, he sure but was. Tell us about your mom. About my mom? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My mom Linda. is the best. Yeah, Linda. She is so awesome. Um, you know, besides Lee, she's, she's definitely my best friend. She's probably the hardest working woman that I know. You know, my dad died almost 19 years ago, I think. And uh, my mom had cancer at the time when my dad passed away. And, you know, there was not one day that she just ever just quit. You know what I mean? She just worked hard and brought herself back and got a job and worked herself up to a management position. And she's just, she's amazing. So, I mean, you know, even on our worst of worst days, you, you, it's hard to even complain about anything because you're like, well, look at Linda. It's like she never complained. You know, she's got scoliosis. She's got arthritis. And, you know, you, you can't stop her. It's like, don't tell her she's got any of those things. But I mean, you know, like I could come over to her house and she'll be cleaning the chimney out. I'm like, get off the roof, mom. You're here by yourself. <laughs> That's not a good idea. Yeah. 
but she, you couldn't ever keep her off there. But that's what's so awesome about her. So, you know, I mean, she wasn't a hunter. And so once she decided that she wanted to try hunting, I mean, it, it has been so much fun to see what a hunter she's actually turned into. Yeah, I, I got a phone call from your mom today. And I was like so excited because your mom gives out this vibe that she's just, you can tell talking to her on the phone that, that Linda is a great woman. She just, she has a great personality. She'll cut up with the best of you and, and very enjoyable to talk to you. I 100% agree. I mean, and if you think about like the stuff she actually manages like around here, because I mean, really my mom's kind of the do all. It's like she cooks for everybody when they're all here. She cooks for us a lot of times. She cleans my house. You know, I mean, she instigates everything when we're gone. I mean, she really, really at any given time, you know, when we have all our cameramen here, you know, she's got like 12 boys to like deal with and take care of and keep it wide and organized and stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, she is, she can cut up. She can, it's the best too, because like when one of them does something, I mean, she's like, all right, I am throwing the mom card down. And they're all like, whoa, you made Miss Linda mad. You know, so um, it's, it's just so funny. It's so fun to have her around. Yeah, I can just tell that she is a lifeline. Would you agree to that? Oh yeah, at 100%. I mean, when we moved down to Iowa, my mom was still living up in Minnesota. And I mean, we moved down here. We didn't know anyone. I mean, to this day, we still don't know a ton of people down here. People gone so much. We just, we have so much stuff going on. And it was, um, you know, I mean, for me, it was a huge change, you know, going from the city. I was a flight attendant. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm commuting now. I'm newly married. We have no money. And I have no friends out here. I mean, it was just like, holy crap. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty life-changing all at once. And I remember about a year into it, I was like, I love my mom down here. And we was like, <laughs> okay, if that'll make you happy, we'll move your mom down. And that's what we did. You know, we ended up, our show had gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, I guess it was probably about three years, actually, because that was right after I ended up having to quit Northwest because I couldn't, you know, work and fly and do everything with our show. And uh, when we moved her down here, I mean, you know, it, it was like life changing for me. And even for me, I mean, you know, his mom died a long time ago, too. So, um, you know, she's basically, you know, the only mom he had now. Right. That's awesome. You know, you just get that sense from her that, you know, she definitely knows what's going on. She's got her stuff together and she's got an answer for any kind of question that you might have to give to her. And you know what else? I'm telling you, it's like people don't realize how important this is. But if you ever need to get a hold of us, because, you know, sometimes we're just flaked or we're gone or we haven't checked our phones and we got a bunch of things going on and you know I'm like if you take good care of my mom you can always get a hold of us because that's got like the bad phone I mean I talk to my mom like 200 times a day so um, and she can get us anywhere anytime any place so it's like I, I tell some of the people I'm like be good to my mom because she's uh she's a lifeline to us when we're not available right that's what I meant when I said lifeline you you pick that up and it, it's very unique that um it's almost like talking to you it really is like she was was able to to answer any question she was able to get me where I need to be to get a hold of you guys and she called me back she responded to my emails she was definitely like talking to you in a different form well thank you very much I think that is a great compliment she's way better at answering emails than I am though I will straight up <laughs> straight up tell you that <laughs> right yeah she did great you know it, it, she took a day to get back to me she apologized and it was uh, it was a unique experience with your mother and, and Linda thank you for that oh well like I said it'd be fun to have her on here and talk to you together so yeah absolutely let's get a little deeper into the deal I want to get into kind of your favorites and, and what you use and, and what that 
you got going that's out in the woods and you know just to get a little information for our listeners as far as what what kind of food plot seed are you guys putting out well right now we are doing just like our corn and beans um we have like mean bean crush that we're doing um and then we're just doing regular regular corn and then we'll start working on all of our clover fields and then you know later on i guess it's july that we'll start doing like our canola and our um, turnip fields you know our late season stuff and then if those don't come up then we start working on like winter wheat but i mean as far as like if i mean the one question people ask a lot is like if we could only plant one thing what would it be and it would be clover you know it goes back mm. to that so clover it, it seems to be pretty simple to put in the ground and uh, not a whole lot of maintenance but you need some rain for sure yeah you definitely need some rain but yeah you're right i mean if you if you do it right right off the bat you know you can do it though with you know just a spreader i mean you don't have to have like all the equipment and stuff yeah you can actually have a really good clover field in you know even the nastiest of places now why why clover is it it, a whitetail's favorite well it's just high protein you know anyone can plant it any you know even if you don't have equipment you can plant it and it's just something that's really accessible to everyone i mean even if you have just a you know a half acre piece you know it's like where we live you could never plant beans in a half acre piece it would never sustain you know to get to have some pods on it so clover is like the, the go-to for us but like you said it's got high protein you got it through the whole year you know and now some of our big clover fields we actually bale up um you know on some of the cuttings and use them you know during the winter time to supplemental feed especially when when you know they're looking for something more than just corn so i mean it's just like a, a do-all plot you know you hunt it early season and then late season i couldn't believe it last year we actually my mom we were at the harrisburg show and my mom was sending us pictures of one of our clover fields it was probably like six or seven inches of snow and the deer were literally just digging in the snow to get to that clover so it's just like one of those fields that you know it's like no matter what time of year it is it it, it can it can bring a lot of deer into your area gotcha t- tonnage it makes a lot of tonnage it, it produces you cut it it keeps growing tonnage is where it's at yeah absolutely i mean and and actually you know it's like that's the one thing that you do have to do though you do have to you know keep a cut down fairly low just so that's what the deer like to eat you know that new growth on there right on so interesting me not being a a a farmer i'm learning a lot tonight so these are some techniques i may try that's so funny now if you i would love 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 like we've got to talk to lee we got to get lee on the phone sometime with you guys too and you can ask him the same questions it'll be kind of the same answer but just a total different approach to the answer i bet we're going to get a a longer answer and it's probably going to be more more detail a little little more details my guess absolutely a little more technical it's like i said it's so funny because like you said, we're, we definitely compliment each other. I mean, I can answer any of the questions, but you always get a little bit more technical answer from Lee than you will from me. Gotcha. We'll, we'll do another show with, with both you guys when you when the, the planting dies down a little bit. <laughs> that would be perfect. Or it rains. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you guys have a, a clover that's like the crushed clover? Do you guys offer that? Yeah, we, have a, we work with Evolved real close, and it, it's crushed clover is what it's called. And actually... The biggest thing is, is like Leo says, the biggest thing about having like a, like a crushed clover or, you know, just, you know, imperial whitetail, any of those kinds is just the rates that the clover actually grow and mature at, you know? So, um, some people can't obviously get to the food plots all the time. So it's just important to have different varieties of clover in it. So you can get a different, it's palatability is good at different times of the season, even if you can't get there to actually cut it, so different growing rates on it. Right. And, and I'm sure research different areas are obviously different. And then, you know, with Evolve, you guys pretty much are putting out the best seed that you can get out there. And, you know, that, that definitely helps on getting your clover to come up and, you know, obviously fertilization and you know, getting back to planting clover, that that's something you can walk out and, 
broadcast by by hand if you got an area small enough. And you know, 90, 95% germination, most times with some, some weather to back it. And uh, you know, the, the crushed clover is something that everybody needs to check into. Well, you know, another nice thing about clover is even now, right now, because we, like I said, we've had a drought two years in a row, and our, some of our clover fields just do not look very good, you know, because they, they had the drought last year, and then the deer eat them down so far, so they just they just can't keep up. But a lot of times, we've already been just, you know, walking around hand-seeding the bare spots and the spots that need need to be thicker and stuff, and then we also do a lot of frost-seeding with clover. You know, you can just keep going over it. It's like, if you can if you can get your clover field a pretty good stand, and you fertilize it every year, and, you know, you can overseed it and do a couple other things to it. I mean, you can have that field for years. And I mean, it's so nice. I mean, it's not like you have to disc it up and do something every year to it, you know? Right, yeah. You can broadcast spread it with the seed and top dress it with some urea or something of that nature, you know? And it uh, keeps producing year after year, and that, that's awesome for the deer herd. Oh, yeah. I mean, just even right now, I'm just looking out my mom's window and her clover field out here, and there's probably 25 deer in it. <laughs> wow. Really? Nice. Yeah. So clo- clover is awesome. the answer. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> Loud and clear. Got it. One of the answers. Yeah. One of the answers. One of the answers. <laughs> So is your mom sitting there with you right now? No, she's up north. She's in Minnesota right now for the cabin. Dang, we was hoping she was there. We'd have her say hi on the show. Gotcha. I knew it. I knew it. I thought I saw tractor lights. I thought Lee was coming, but they just passed the house. Tiffany, let's talk about your house a little bit. It's uh, We see it on the show a lot, and uh, it looks like you have a, a great kitchen, and it's uh, you have this really cool great room where you have all the, the deer heads and on the big fireplace. Um, tell us about that house. Our house actually is a big, huge pole barn that Lee drew out on a napkin one night at a bar. People actually ask us for the plans, and it's like, um, there's not really any plans that exist for it. I've got to go find but, the napkin, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, no kidding. I probably could if I had to. Uh, but it just, it's so funny because we weren't ever planning on living in Iowa, so we were just going to do something, you know, low maintenance and just something, you know, that we would be down just during certain times of the year. And so when we actually moved down here, we just made it a little bit bigger and have been there ever since. So, but yeah, our great room is almost out of space. Can you even believe that? Oh, wow. We are crazy. We seriously are in need of building something. And actually, I think in the meantime, we're probably going to build a garage right now because every year we have so many cameramen and I mean, there's people in and out of our house constantly. So it's like, oh my gosh, we need a bunk room for those camera boys and we need some more wall space for our deer heads because we're not ready to actually build yet, you know? It's like we're not ready to take that project on. Right. I was going to ask you that. It seems like uh, on the show, I mean, and, and there's obviously there's the show life and then there's life off the show, but it seemed like there was a lot of uh, interaction in the house itself and that it was constant visitation from camera people and um, uh, different competitions you're going to have and all that kind of stuff. Is that pretty accurate? Like there's just a lot going on at the house. It is 100% accurate. And it's funny because you have show life, you said, you know, and then you have like real life and our life, real life is no different than show life. It's like always like that. There's always something going on, always chaos, always guys coming in and out of our house and just always something rolling. I mean, it's, it's really, it took me a little while to get used to it because I, I only had one brother growing up, but now Lee had five sisters and one brother, so he was used to, like, the chaos in his house constantly. And uh, so now, you know, now I've kind of, like, if one of the guys hasn't been there for a while, I'm like, where's Lovey? It's like, where's Brandon? Boy, I'm ready for those guys to be back, you know? It's kind of quiet without them. But, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely always somebody coming and going at our house. Interesting. Is there ever a downtime? Mm, not very often anymore. 
because, I mean, we do so much of our own farming, so that is like a full-time job in itself. We do so many appearances. We have all of our stuff that we have to do for our show. And so, no, there's not really too much downtime. And we, we do a couple things. You know, we go fishing up in Canada for like five days, um, and then we go skiing usually every year. But uh, other than that, as a whole, it, there's not much downtime. I mean, you know, if you have farms, there's always something to do. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. But we're bad now. You know, it's like we used to, like I said, every once in a while, I used to like drag lead in Mexico. And the last time I did it, uh, we both, like, day two, were like, oh, okay. It's like, you're just not used to sitting still anymore, you know? You don't handle it well anymore. So that's when we started skiing because it's like, okay, you could still go on sort of vacation, right. but you're actually out doing something, but it's still sort of vacation, you know? It's right. like, I would go stir crazy now if I had to land on the beach. Kind of like, yeah, and I, I, I understand what you're saying is sometimes, you know, you go on vacation, you can only lay around for so long. You got to go I know it. do it's, something. Got- yeah, it's definitely changed in that aspect for us because we used to be able to 100% especially college days. Oh my gosh, I could be till noon. But now it's like, you know, today we were up at, well, we rolled in last night. We were down, we had to do some stuff for Bass Row, King of Bucks, and then we had the, our, the U.S. Fishing Open, which was really cool, bow fishing event down at the Bass Pro Shop. Hmm. And then we went turkey hunting in Missouri, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, last night we got home, oh, I don't know, about like 1230, and then got up, I got up at 6, Lee's got a fractured toe, so he's not running with me right now. I got up at 6, went and ran four miles, and then came back and have been out farming and working with Ever since, so um, yeah, we're definitely rocking and rolling all the time. Gotcha. Well, how's the how's the toe doing? It's healing, actually. Although I'm ashamed to say we missed a doctor's appointment, but we we're turkey hunting. So, but uh, and I don't think they needed to see it anyways because it's like there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> <laughs> right now. But it's actually it's healing. I mean, he's getting along fairly well. Good. You know, that, that's uh, always a minor setback when incidents like that occur. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. I mean, I watched it happen, so it was frightening. By my frightening, frightening that it actually happened like that. It's like, oh my. Gosh, she's lucky he didn't lose his toes. Oh, absolutely. Did let me try to fill in what happened. Didn't didn't uh, equipment fall off a jack or something like that? Pretty much something like that. Yeah, um, a soil finisher as he was changing a tire, the yeah, jack got yeah. goofed up a little bit, and yeah, basically the axle fell on his on his foot. Ouch! Mm. How, how, was he able to? Can we get in a little detail on that? How do you get it out? Well, um, well, I had to get in the tractor then and lift the soil finisher up. Okay, so it just set so, on the ground, set on the ground, and raise the axle up then. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he said he was darn lucky because it was only the tip of his big toe and the second toe, and just the very tips of it. But mm. the part actually, and that's bad enough. But the part that actually caused like the most damage is it kind of squashed his foot, so the bones came out underneath his like toes, you know. So that's where mm. he had like a lot of soft tissue damage. That was that was the biggest part. But it's like they were worried about infection with that so bad. But uh, it's healing up well. I mean, you know, he's been he's been jumping around pretty good now. You can he's got real boots on every day now. And step into the crock. So right, yeah, that's that's uh, man, that's. And now I, he's got steel toe boots. Good but idea. Yes, it, it, excellent. It, it, it could have that could have been bad too, though. You know uh, that that kind of weight with a soil finisher and steel toe boots could have crushed the boot down in and cut his toes off. That's what they say. So it's like you don't know if it would have been worse or better. You know. Hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a gamble there. That's a lot of weight, and man, I feel for you, Lee. That's crazy. But he's tough. He's been, you know, I mean, that same week he did it, his dad was down turkey hunting and his dad's 81 years old and, you know, I mean, he could, he could barely get around, but, he, you know, his dad shot in his first turkey ever with him, so he definitely wasn't going to let it keep him down. That's cool. Gotcha. 
Uh, Tiffany, what you, you guys met, you started hunting and, and stuff like that. When did you decide that creating a television show was going to be the right idea? Um, well, we never did, actually. It kind of came to us, Okay. amazingly enough. I mean, when we, because we never started a show to like, because we like to film and be on film and that kind of thing. We, at the time, we had, um, we, well, I mean, it's kind of a long story, but I mean, basically we met Michael Waddell at one of the shows and I think it was the ATA show and it was the same year we met like Don and Candy Kissy and the Drews and stuff. And we had been shooting good bucks and already, I mean, back in the day, he was always filming our stuff. So, I mean, I have never shot something that hasn't been on film, which is the craziest thing ever. So my entire career, everything I've ever shot has been on film. Okay. He always was into filming and it, not necessarily like we used to, you know, do interviews and that kind of stuff. I mean, we were always just filming the deer and stuff. And so um, we had started to get some pretty good stuff, you know, on film. You know, we were shooting some pretty good deer. I mean, even back in the day, he was always shooting big deer. And then I, he just naturally started putting me in on a spot. And so, you know, we were always together doing that. And so um, Michael was like, you guys should start filming for like Monster Bucks or something. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, I don't even have the first idea how to do for any of that stuff. Right. And so Michael was like, you guys have turkeys in Kansas? We had a farm in Kansas. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, let's go turkey hunting. And it's funny because we had never even turkey hunted at the time. And so Michael came down and he had John Tate. And I think at this time, Michael didn't even have like World Trip or any of his shows. And we just kind of learned how to actually film for like, like Monster Bucks, you know? And so we started that very first year we went out and we act, we had like our best year ever. I mean, probably even better even than now. Cause I, I mean, we shot like a 167 in Wisconsin, a 170 in Iowa and a 196 in Kansas. And I shot, this is like my second year ever hunting. I shot like a 125 in Wisconsin, a 152 in Kansas and like, like a 130 in Iowa or something like that. And my very first, second year hunting and we got them all on film and they were all in focus and all like good audio and stuff. Like <laughs> it was like a complete miracle. You nailed so it. That That's kind of, great. Yeah, we did. First that take. was like our first year. Yeah, and and the thing is, it's like, you know, we're still working full-time. I mean, you know, both of us had full-time jobs. Sure. And so um, from that, we just, you know, we were just like an ideal package because it's like, okay, we had our own farms, we filmed each other, we had our own equipment, and we didn't need any money because we worked full-time. So, you know, once we started getting those kills and stuff, I mean, they were good deer and they were big deer, most of them. And so, um, you know, like they started going on Monster Bucks and then Candy and Don Kiskey's, you know, Whitetail taking it to extremes, extremes back then. And so we just got to get pretty well known just by, you know, having our stuff on DVDs and stuff like that. And then, I mean, shoot, we were, like Lee says, the first time his, his picture came out on Monster Bucks, he said he could have died and went to heaven. He would have been done and happy right there if he would have never done anything else. And he was on Monster Bucks 10. And uh, after that, you know, we just still kind of just kept filming each other and stuff. And right after he quit his job, Aubrey Gale from Scentlock called and said, um, now, mind you, this is like October 1st where he quit his job. Ironically enough, October 1st is the opening day of Iowa bow season. Right. So uh, he said, uh, Aubrey called and Lee was actually helping Don Kiske combine because I had to go on like a five-day trip. And Aubrey's like, hey, do you guys ever think about hosting a television show? And he's like, you know, the timing is right. And that's how we started the show. So we never really thought about, like, it was never in our mind, like, hey, maybe we should do a television show. Interesting. So it, it just kind of developed into something. It wasn't uh, something you had planned out. It was more or less just uh, people asked you to do it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Nothing we ever planned in a million years. I mean, right. like, we always said he. He's like, you know, I knew I had my chemical engineering degree. I knew I could go work at like Montana down in Iowa. Yep. He had a cousin that worked there. And, um, you know, I mean, I could fly out of anywhere. So, I mean, we, we started to write more articles and stuff. You know, I mean, we figured we could muddle through with whatever he wanted to do like that until we figured out what he wanted to do. 
and lo and behold, we ended up doing a TV show. Gotcha. Now on the on the show, you you often have these competitions, uh, specifically the one I just recently watched, where you were trying to decide, uh, you know, who's going to shoot the most turkeys uh, for the most part. Are you competitive off the set as much as you are on the set? No, and actually that's probably the only time we're ever competitive is that turkey hunt. And okay. we just had that. I was like, way to bring up a bad subject here because I just got smoked again this year. Um, <laughs> but uh, Sorry. other than that, no. I mean, actually, I mean, for me, I would always rather see Lee shoot something. And he's like saying, you would always rather me shoot something, you know. And especially when it comes to whitetails, I mean, I'm a deer fanatic, but not like him. I mean, his entire life from I think the minute he came out of his mother's belly has been revolved around deer hunting I mean he's just such a deer nut I mean it's just hmm. his entire existence and so you know if we have like a big buck or something you know I would always rather see him shoot him but you know I mean there was a buck this year that I shot you know he, he and I were I think it was like two days before Christmas so everybody was gone and those are our favorite times when it's still him and I just filming each other you know and we both, he had his bow out there and I had my muzzleloader and a buck that he had been hunting all season you know came out and he said, you shoot him. I'm like, no, you shoot him. I mean, we were like arguing in the blind, you know, back and forth. We could shoot that buck because I'd rather see him shoot it and he'd rather see me shoot it. So gotcha. um, I ended up shooting him. So, right. you know, like I said, it's really other than the turkey competition. We, we don't have any competition between us. So it's it's more for TV on occasion. It seems like TV has gone that way in many forms. Like everything's a competition these days. Um, so that yeah, was... unfortunately, we don't really make ourselves do that because it's, it's not really us, you know. Like right. that I By nature, you know, um, it just it, and for the record, I mean, most things he's darn better than me, so I'd lose my butt every time. I mean, like it's like let's be honest, it's like the turkey competition. It's like he knows every one of these farms from the first second you step into one of the you know audit to you know walk off it at the end. It's like he knows everywhere where I is still to this day have the worst sense of direction ever. But you know, so he he definitely when it comes to hunting stuff, he's gonna he's probably gonna beat me because gotcha. I've he, gotten to be a lot better hunter over the years, but not like. Him. Gotcha. gotcha. Tell, tell us uh, your most memorable whitetail hunt. Oh, that's an easy one. That's that's by far the first time my mom went out and shot a buck with her her muzzleloader. Linda on the board that, with that. Linda on the board with that one. You know, because she never started out wanting to hunt. In fact, when Lee and I first started dating, it's kind of a funny story because um, I was living at home and Lee and I, I, I don't know, I've probably been dating a year or so. And my mom was like, where are you going? And I'm like, because it was kind of winter time. I'm like, I'm going shed hunting. And she's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going. And she's like, oh, you must oh, like this guy. And I mean, I had no idea at the time what that even was, you know? And uh, so, I mean, when, and then when I started hunting, she literally would cut out the animal in our pictures, you know, because she's like, I don't want a picture of that animal with you guys. <laughs> I just want you guys. So it would be like these little heads and in the frame and these animals cut out. And so it really wasn't until a few years into us doing our show that she decided she wanted to start hunting. And it, it was really more when she started to come down and cook when like David Blanton was down here and Blake Miranda were down here. Um, I think Gary LaVox had been down here and stuff. And it was really more about she just saw how much fun everybody was having and just the camaraderie around the actual experience more than the hunt. Right, and, right, and right. She wanted to be a part of it, you know. And so that one of those, I think it was probably like the third year, she's like, I want to shoot a turkey and a bear. And we're like, what? A turkey and a bear? I was like, okay. And so that year she shot a turkey with her bow and then a bear with her muzzleloader. And it was probably another two years after that she decided she wanted to shoot a whitetail. And um, as soon as she said that, we're like, okie dokie, because that's awesome. You think that she was and, just wait, waiting to get the big trophies on the farms? <laughs> 
you know, it's funny you say that because it's like what she talked about. This is this is a. I think he was a five year old. I'm looking at it right now. Five year old A point. And uh, um, when she shot him, I was like, I was like, I'm like, it's a big mature buck that you know we've been hunting. I actually I was hunting him early season. And she's like, that's awesome. I don't want to shoot a little buck. I'd lose my happy home. And we're like, oh, my gosh. You know, because she knows the difference between, like, an older buck and, like, a young buck. And stuff. she's like, I don't want to shoot a young buck. I'm like, you're not going to shoot a young buck. So um, it's just really? funny that, you know, she's gotten so into it. And then this year, actually, we tried and tried. Um, her, I took her out a bunch this year trying to get one with a crossbow. She's got a crossbow permit. She, um, she can't pull back enough weight with her bow, with her, right. her scoliosis and her arthritis and stuff. And, boy, this year, it was, just, it was tough done. Iowa, you know, we've had two years of blue tongue and, you know, the drought and stuff, and it, it definitely was a lot harder this year, so she didn't get one this year, so next year will be her time. Yeah, best of luck to you, Linda. I just think that she's just laying back till you guys, till, till you and Lee get the, the big monsters established, and then, like, she just comes in like a vulture and gets one, you know? <laughs> yeah, is that the truth? <laughs> if it were only that easy. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, does she, how often does she get out? How often does Linda hunt? How often does she hunt? Um, well, it kind of depends. Like turkey season, you know, she's been out a couple, she hasn't been out as much this year, turkey season. Um, but it was really, really cold early on. And then we've had a bunch of company and she's had a bunch of company. So, you know, normally during turkey season, she's out a few weeks, but she'll hunt this last few weeks, you know, until it closes. And then deer hunting, boy, she's probably out probably two or three weeks last year. Nice. And there's a lot of times where like I'm going and there'll be a, a buck that we want her to shoot in, um, you know, cause like a lot of times, you know, she'll shoot like our management deer, but you know, theoretically that you know, a lot of times that we'll have her shoot, which that a point was like a management buck. But I mean, it's still a lot of the deer that I'm hunting too you know so um if there's a certain buck that's been coming out a while a bunch and we're in the same you know sometimes we have like the redneck lines that we both can hunt in then she'll just come out with me so she does she hunts with me quite a bit actually that's cool you know it's uh, something that you'll never get taken away from your memory no you know what you are so right on that and it's funny because last year i remember um we were it was probably i guess it was probably november and uh i had said to her i'm like uh, I'm like, Mom, do you want to go get a pedicure? Or do you want to go deer hunting? She's like, I want to go deer hunting. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. True story. I am really yeah, liking Linda a lot. This yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. And then... It- and see, that's the thing. It's like when it's just my mom and I out, and I, I was just filming my mom. And so it's always, if it's just her and I, I mean, there should there should always be someone filming because it's always an epic disaster half the time. Because we go out, we're almost out of gas. I'm like, well, how should you get gas? And then I forgot my wallet. And then we had to talk to the guy. He's like, well, I don't want you to run out of gas. Or we had to borrow us money to get gas. I mean, it was just, it's always something when it's just her and I together. Yeah, I think that you should take a camera with yeah. you, some, somebody else, and get both of you interacting in that sense. Because that, be some- that may not be something something that you have recorded but it'd be great material for the show yeah a little more reality oh, tv is. there yeah yeah i'm telling you and it's none of it's made up <laughs> that's the best part that's the best part yeah you took the words <laughs> right out of the mouth jay there that's go. the best part yeah i think that you need to have a, a camera with you at all times it sounds very interesting I, well you know see sometimes though it's like we're out of cameramen you know what i mean so that's why i mean obviously i still film a bunch so it worked out good i'm like well i can film my mom she's up right Tiffany, yeah, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, your celebrity that has developed. Um, when we went down to the Great American Outdoor Show in, in Pennsylvania and Harrisburg, there was, hands down, you guys had the longest line of any booth there. And it's because of your popularity. Has your life changed since the show has gotten popular and that you've gotten popular um, over the years? Uh, not even in the least. <laughs> 
oh my gosh, you know, I mean, there's not a show that we go to that we're just like, seriously, we're like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope we're going to be busy. I hope people come and see us. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, we're in our little hole in Iowa. We just work day and night. You know, we're not on the chat rooms. We're not on the forums. You know, it's like, we just, just, you know, do our everyday stuff that we do. And then we go to somebody's appearance and you're like, oh, I hope people come and see us. I hope people want to, want to come and talk to us. So, um, by all means, no, I mean, we, we're just rednecks from Iowa that are lucky that people like our show and we're grateful that they come and see us because we'd be like, um, I hope someone comes to talk to us this week. <laughs> so yeah, no, we're not, we're not any different than we ever have been. That's cool. That's very I'm, cool. And I mean, well, well, even so, I mean, I, I'm just like blown away. I'm like, I cannot believe they come and see us. I feel awesome. <laughs> I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to give props to you and Lee for what you do at the show. And you know, me and Jay fortunate enough to be at the Harrisburg show and, and see this in person. And, and this, this was, this was touching to me. Like you guys stayed there till the last fan was greeted by you. It didn't matter if it was three hours after the show. It doesn't matter if it's five hours after the show. If you get a line of people, you guys stay there till the last person gets to talk with you. And that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? I mean, it's like our fans are our bosses. I mean, they are the ones who allow us to do what we do and we don't take that for granted. And we've always said, we heard Taylor Swift say it, you know, years and years ago. It's like, if we want a million people watching our show, well, we need to shake hands with a million people. And it's like, we're so grateful that, you know, we're able to do what we do and we're allowed to do it. And it, and it's really because of our fans. So heck yeah. I mean, you know, we go to that show and we stay there all nine days because that's one of our favorite shows to go to. I mean, it's like, I love seeing, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Monday, a Saturday, a Sunday, it's like it's the same amount of people that come through those doors. And it is just so cool to see everybody there for the ultimate same reason of hunting. You know, I mean, it just brings everybody together like that. And it's like, I can't even, and we don't take lunches, we don't take breaks, we, we get there, you know, 20 minutes early, and we stay usually an hour after, because, you know, everybody's still there, and it's like, that's such an honor to us, and it's something we don't take for granted, and yeah, you'll you'll never see us leave, because if people are standing there, and then, I guess that's yeah. not something that we we take for granted, because it's like, we're so honored to be able to yeah. be there, and, and I love talking to them, it's like, it's so fun to see, like, all these young kids, and, you know, these married women that never hunted before they started watching our show and then decided to give it a shot you know because they found me out there with Lee and all of a sudden you know their marriage is revived after 25 years and you know they're out hunting together and it's like it's just it's so touching every day there's not somebody that doesn't come through that really really truly touches you with something that's happened to them yep. right you know and I, 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 me and Jay talked about that uh, Jay and I it, it was touching for us as coming in there as media to uh, you know we, we did some research we wanted to see that and that was very awesome that you guys made sure that everybody got to see you that that in our eyes was was spectacular i was blown away i mean we started out early in the morning and we hoofed it all around the entire complex um and, and we put on some miles just just going from building to building and looking for people that might uh, want to join us in an interview and we check in on your booth now and then and every time it was just full of fans to the end of the hall and it's like you got there in the morning and you never left and like we checked in i think we caught you at the very tail end it was i don't know what nine o'clock at night dusty yeah it was uh yeah right. probably was, i don't know if it was nine but it was late it was late in the day and you were still doing it and i was like wow you've been here a long time and that's oh well, heck yeah you know it's like like you said we don't take it for granted it's like you know we're just honored that people are coming to say hi to us and you know they allow us to do what we do so we definitely aren't gonna 
take that for granted. Yeah, that's a testament to. And we have fun. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna lie. It's like those shows are fun. I mean, it's fun to be there. It's fun to you know we have a good group of people that we're with. I mean, we always have upbeat music. Or you know, some days even when you're retired, there's a couple songs like on our loop reel that I mean, I just it's a I'm coming home song, and I just it was when um, Lee shot his mule deer in Utah a couple years ago, and it's like I just love that. It's like I just get goosebumps. You know, you hear that elk bugle, and it's like oh, I can't wait the season starts. <laughs> That's cool. I, I ended up buying a uh, a couple of t-shirts from your booth. I bought a purple t-shirt for my daughter. Who, oh, that is a cute shirt. Yeah, she loves it. She wears it a lot and she goes, Daddy, this is the shirt you bought for me from the crush. And ironically, she doesn't have a clue about uh, hunting TV. She doesn't even like hunting, <laughs> but she loves your t-shirt. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. And you know, the thing is, it's like, that's one thing like everything we do, we're super involved in, you know, it's like even from our food plot deed, if we come out with a product, it's something we've had a hand in and, you know, like evolved. I mean, it's like when we started to do Clover with them, I mean, they had a test plot, they sent us a lead the year before, we made changes. And so it comes out to stuff that we actually use. It's not, you know, we're fortunate. We don't, we have a waiting list of sponsors. So it's like, we don't have never, ever taken anything just a, oh, cause we need to fill a spot. It's like everything that we have is because we use it and it's a, what we believe is the best for us. And it goes to the same with our clothing and our logo wear and all that stuff. It's like, it's stuff that we want to wear. And it's like, I always go, would I buy that? Yeah. So then we could do it, you know, because ultimately I'm a consumer at heart. So, right. you know, I said, I love that. We have stuff that you're a hunter, but your daughter might not be a hunter, but she could still, you could still find a shirt for her, you know? Right. Yeah. And it is interesting. You know, children choose their own path. My daughter has just, hasn't, hasn't adopted hunting as much as I wanted her to. She just hasn't. My son, on the other hand, is going crazy. And I got him a t-shirt too. And he, he, wow, he wears your t-shirt proudly as well. So it's pretty cool. Very, it's very like, cool. Yeah. All that will take is for her to meet a nice guy that is a bow hunter. And then there you go. She'll be, right. she'll be, and that's what happened to one of our nieces. It's like, she wasn't a hunter and lo and behold, she meets a boy and she shot her first buck last year. You know, it's like, and she's in dance line and she hunts, which is right. awesome. So when, when, when my daughter starts dating, I should say, you know, I should invite the, the boy over and say, you know, I shouldn't be cleaning my guns and all that stuff when he comes over and say, do you, do you hunt or do you not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I exactly. think that you're doing a personal inspiration as we speak. My daughter Paisley usually sits here with me most of the time, but being that we have a female on the other line, she has sat here with me the whole time and she's taking it all in. That's awesome. Well, that is awesome. I'm glad to hear that. You know, because like, I feel like that's one of the reasons that people like our show. You know, it's like, like I said, I'm a hunter, but I that's not the only thing that I do. You know, it's like I'm still a girl. I still like girly stuff. I still, you know, you can ask me about fashion or you can ask me about deer management. And I can answer each question, you know, pretty good. So it's, I, I definitely think that's what one thing that draws, you know, some people to our show. It's not just about hunting. It's about, you know, Lee and I and our experience and my mom and people who are here and, you know, harvesting of the animals probably is the smallest part of some of our stuff. Gotcha. Uh, Tiffany, I'd like to go through uh, just a, a lightning round of questions from our community on the Big Buck Registry, if that's okay. I posted a question earlier today, and I asked the question, if you had one question that you'd like to ask of Lee and Tiffany, what would it be? And I've got a, about 39 of them, but uh, I'm not going to ask all of them, but I'd like to go through a few, if that's okay, do a little lightning <laughs> round with you. Would that be right? You got it. And you're going to get Lee here because he's just pulling in the driveway. So he'll probably awesome. be in here in a few minutes. Oh, very cool. cool. All right. Uh, Zach Hale wants to know how you got your funding to um, basically fund the hunting farm business. 
um, let's see, Zach, let's see, that's kind of a two-part question. I mean, a lot of it is our own personal money, in all honesty, but then, I mean, I would say most of it for, like, our farming stuff is our own personal money, but do you think he's talking about, like, how do we get our farm, or how do we do this stuff? I think it's, uh, I think he wants to know how you were able to acquire your farms, and he's assuming that you financed it and and then do what you do on those farms because of it. It's, I think... Uh, he, Ten for well, actually, years ago, here's some good advice. If you're not rich yourself, be friends with rich people because that's exactly what happened to us. Um, we had a couple of partners years ago that we ended up being really, really good buddies with. And one of the guys is like a multi-billionaire and he, uh, which you got to admire the guy because he started out with nothing and actually started a communication company and it just took off and he's got a lot of money and he and Lee just quit and really ultimately he's kind of the bankroll for most of our stuff. You know, we were able to buy some stuff, you know, in the last few years, but still a lot of it we finance through him. And so without Tom, we would, you know, and he's been on our show a couple of times, well, a lot of times actually, but without him, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the stuff that we have. But, you know, we have partners in a lot of it. Uh, in all honesty, we have my cousins own a couple of pieces of land with us. Tom owns a lot of land with us. So really it started out with just a couple of partners like that is how we were able to acquire the, the stuff that we have. Gotcha. Okay. So over the years, you know, we've been able to you know, chunk away at some pieces, you know, make payment to people and stuff. But really, same as anything else, you just make payments. Gotcha. Find a rich friend, in other words. Got it. Yeah, that's what I always say. Like, if you're not rich yourself or if you don't come from a rich family, which, of course, we didn't. My dad was a truck driver. Lee's dad was a... A concrete guy, and uh, so like I said, Tom, boy, without him, we would never be able to have had what we've had. Gotcha. All right, Julian Owen asks uh, Lee, "Can I hunt with your wife?" Well, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You know, we've actually started. We're going to start doing this more often because we started in the last few years. Um, now, can you deer hunt with your wife on our Iowa property? No, because we have all those partners, so you can only get a couple people through here or there. And uh, But we've started to do so much like waterfall hunting because we have two dogs, Maddie and Tanker, and I have 100% become like a duck who's not. And so we're starting to kind of think of some like contests and stuff to have people come with us and then because that's a good time for us too because like if we're deer hunting that's area stuff now you know what I mean it's like you only have so many months of the year to actually make that happen of course only a few weeks of the year that are those actual magical times so you know when it's deer season we are out there and we are buzzing our butt you know from morning till night so I mean really it wouldn't be all that fun to deer hunt with us anyways it's like you go out in the morning we barely see anybody and then you get in at night you look at trail cam pictures you eat and you go to bed and you do it all again the next day but now like goose hunting and duck hunting oh my gosh now that's fun that's when we get to and even turkey hunting that's when we get to be out with people and have a lot of fun where you're actually hanging around camp it's a lot less stressful and you know because it's like you know you're going to go out every day and shoot stuff and that's when we have our dogs around and everything's so much more laid back and easy going so we were uh and you know a lot of times too like on those hunts it's like you know we went goose hunting with a couple guys and every day i mean the regular clients were out with us so it's you know it's like we're just going to start posting where we're at and just you know people can come oh wow okay very cool. Um, let's see. Uh, John Brownwood, uh, Brownwood asked, uh, he says, I'm a disabled vet and I have limited mo- mobility and have put in for many hunts for vets but never get in any answers. Uh, do you have any suggestions on how to get some results? 
Hmm. Um, like he's trying to go on like a wounded veteran hunt. I think so. I think that's his question. Is that that's his question? Gosh, you know we haven't done too much with that, but I know there's like some groups out there that do a ton of stuff like that. Like Jody and Weston Clark. I mean, that was all they do is take you know wounded veterans out hunting stuff. But I I don't really know the good answer on that because we haven't really done a ton with that. In all honesty, okay. but I know there's some some groups out there that do do a lot more than we do. Uh, he said, I know Jody and Weston Clark. I mean, they're entire show is based around that. Um, I, I know uh, Jackie Bushman takes like a lot of wounded vets out there, but I don't know like the actual steps to, to get involved with some of that stuff. I mean, I know Under Armour is really involved with like the Wounded Warrior Project. Gotcha. Well, that should give him some direction, definitely. Um, let's see. Uh, Bill Woolever wants to know if he can sit in your tree stand on opening day. Can you sit in my tree stand on opening day? Yes. Heck no. I'm Heck like, no. Good answer. I, I was like, you're probably a good friend, Bill, but on opening day, it's like, oh my God. It's like, that's like, <laughs> no you know, way. what time is it right now? It's 9, 12 right now. We started at 6 a.m. this morning, which, you know, is put in a pretty good days of work. Um, I, in fact, I wear like a, a fuel band. I was looking at my steps. I'm like, I have 28,000 steps in today, um, which is pretty awesome. But it's like, that's where all the blood, sweat, and tears we basically put into <laughs> everything is is uh, worthwhile and comes to par. You know, it's like all those years you've been watching all year long and passing and everything else. It's like, I guess, yes, you could sit with me in my tree stand. Now, can you shoot a deer? Probably not. Gotcha. All right. I like your answer. That's a very good answer. <laughs> um, Michael Wolf, he wants to know about uh, WGI and why you chose that? Wild Game Animations? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, are we talking cameras, do you think, or food plots? I think he's talking cameras because he does refer to another competitor in the field. Um, he says he loves WGI, um, and he has four of those cameras, but he wants to know uh, why, I guess specifically, why you decided on WGI over other Well, I, I mean, that would be like Lee's lifeline. I mean, that would be the one thing if you said, what was, what's been a game changer for you guys for, you know, in hunting? And he would say, they hands down have been trail cameras. And so um, it was just really, everybody sends us trail cameras, and we had gotten to the point where the ones we were using just weren't performing as well as, as he would have liked. And the thing is, it's like, you know, those are like your lifeline. I mean, it's like, especially for, we're at least out there all the time, but especially for people, you know, it's like down like at our Kansas farm, we're only down there like once a month, once every two months. It's like, you, you can't have your stuff failing. You know, you got to have stuff that, you know, is reliable. And I know some of the wild game stuff they had problems with, you know, years ago, but those were actually, out of all the cameras people sent us, those are the ones that work best. I mean, hands down, the lights out camera, I mean, they've been flawless. I mean, we've had those things out back. Battery life has worked awesome on that. I mean, pictures that have we've gotten off those. I mean, they've been really, really good. I mean, the truth speeds real fast on those. I mean, we just had the best luck out of all of them. And so those are the ones that he decided to go with. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Scott Gunn, this is a good question. How high are your fences on your properties? How high are our fences? Yes, yeah, Scott thinks you're... We don't you're... have any fences. Exactly. Oh, Scott thinks we hunted a high fence. I'm like, um, we have never hunted at a high fence. Right. It's so, like, we live in Iowa. Why would you hunt at a high fence? That's, that's, that's why I asked the question, to, because you Isn't guys that crazy? don't... You know, we I have know. people ask that, and it's like, we live in Iowa. Why would you ever hunt in high fences? You don't like, need high fences in Iowa fence. or Ohio or... You don't need them. You really don't. And you know, the thing is, it's like, it's legal, obviously, but it's not for us. It's like, that's not anything I ever would do or care to do. Like I said, as long as it's legal, it's like, you know, as hunters, you got to support that. Is it something that we personally are going to do? No. Right. And I knew the answer to that question, but I wanted you to say that on the, on the show. That's great. Excellent. What we have is low pressure. 
and that's what we have. It's like that's why right. we're able to shoot deer, you know, five-year-old deer in daylight uh, out in our food plot. Like we have food and we have low pressure, and it's like you know, it's amazing what you can do with that. Yep. But high fences, I don't like. That's absolutely not. Dusty, jump I'm gonna, in. Go I'm going to pull a couple of viewer questions at Chubby Tines Outdoors. Brandon Troman asks, have you ever hunted grizzlies? And if so, where at? And if you got one, how big? So he's wanting to know have if you ever, ever hunted, hunted grizzly bears. Oh, no. We've never hunted grizzly bears, but that's like on our bucket list. I think we're going to try to go. We've been saving because um, it's, it's hard on some of those big hunts like that because we have two of us, you know? So it's like, boy, we got to have a couple of years of, you know, our budgets actually uh, properly uh properly saved to be able to do some of those hunts. So, no, we have not ever hunted grizzlies, but we're hoping to in the next few years. Awesome. I think we actually have put it down a deposit for like next year, I'm hoping. Ooh, that's exciting. Very nice. Yeah, for sure. Next question comes in from Zach Samola. If you could only hunt one big game animal for the rest of your life, what would it be? And would you rather use a bow or a gun to harvest it? Definitely a bow because I feel like that is the hardest of hard. There's so many things that have to come together to actually harvest an animal with a bow. I mean, you know, it, it really is amazing. It's like, you know, you're talking for the most part, you know, 50 yards and under, and it's like, that is close once you're out there. But it, it's got to be whitetails. I mean, there's so many other animals you love to hunt. I mean, it, I love elk too, though. So that would be, that's kind of a toughie, but straight up, it's, if you could only ever hunt one thing for the rest of our life, it would be definitely whitetails and, and with a bow. Awesome. That's my two highlight questions I had for you. So okay. I've got a couple more here. Uh, Ernest Ivy yeah. wants, wants to know if you would sit down with with him and his wife for dinner, they want to get to know you personally instead of just as a celebrity. They watch that would the- be pretty fun. We should definitely do some, some more stuff like that. It's like you know, a lot of times when we go places, you just don't have the opportunity. You know, you're at the Harrisburg show. We start at you know, we get there at nine. You're out at eight the next day or, or that night. You know, eight or nine at night, and it's like you just don't have the opportunity. I mean, we go to bed and you start fresh the next day. But that would definitely be fun to do. We've done a couple things like that in the past. You know, with some of um, like our partners, like Thermoshell, we did like a, a dinner giveaway one night and stuff so we definitely do need to do a little bit more of that excellent would you ever want to go back to hunting prior to cameras that's from well, okay you, fortner for me i've always been on camera i mean we right. always know me and so i would say no because the thing is it's like there's so many times when you're out there i mean like the cameras for us i mean we don't do anything different um with or without a camera there you know hey honey um i'll put him on speakerphone here in just a bit okay but so uh the thing is it's like it doesn't bother me one bit to have it out there and I would be absolutely sick if you had something just awesome happen and you didn't have it on camera. I mean just because it's, it's, those are like our memories you know it's like those are the things that we look back at it's like Lee's got his laptop and he's all of our kills on there and all of our favorite things and it's like he rewatches those things like a hundred times a week and it's those are just the things that we enjoy watching you know so I for me it doesn't I've never even been off camera and I would think Lee would say the same thing you would say no those are my those are like my home videos those are the, what I, I live for and and really, like I said, you know, it's like there's nothing that we do off camera that we don't do on camera. Gotcha. All right. This guy, uh, Philip Poyer, wants to know if you will marry him. Absolutely not. Because <laughs> I am married to the one person that I was meant to be on this earth with. Excellent. But that was very nice to offer. Right. It's nice to know because I'm going to be 39 this year. So, hey, okay, not too bad for an old lady then. Still getting marriage offers. <laughs> 39. <laughs> Great answer. All right. Good answer. Great that, answer. That, was, that was about the best answer I can imagine for that, that question. Um, would you describe the thrill of the hunt in your own words from Jethro Jones? I don't even know 
know if I can describe it. I mean, it's like, like I said, I, we watch a loop reel when we're at the Harrisburg show and, you know, you hear that elk bugle and I get goosebumps because I'm so excited to start elk hunting again. It's like that, I mean, it's just, you know, obviously that's what, that's what we hunt, you know, that adrenaline and just that awesome feeling. And then, you know, when your shot goes the way you want it to go, I mean, just, you know, that's when my leg really, I can hold it together pretty good before that. But then after that, it's like, that's when my, my knees start shaking and I start doing the happy dance is what I call it. <laughs> Uh, I've done the happy dance a few times. That's that's a great way to describe it. Absolutely. All right. Here, All right what next one? Here's the question from Woody and Sarah Reifowitz. They want to know, uh, when are you coming to Wisconsin to take the public land challenge? I don't know what that means exactly. Would we? Uh, yeah. Or when are we? When? Or when are we? I think that means do they, they want to know if you're going to come hunt public land. Uh, the answer is simple, no. Uh, <laughs> we did, I did that for 20 years before I bought my own, and that's why I worked my butt off for, you know, since I was 10 years old to save enough money to buy my own place. And, and not that it could be any less successful. It's just my whole life growing up, you'd get permission someplace, and then you'd lose it, and you'd leave something, and mm-hmm. you'd, you know, work your butt off to make it better. And there's always somebody with more money that would come and lease out from under And that, you know, it was, I was early in my teens, and I saw the writing on the wall. It's like, I'm going to have to work my butt off because I need to get a place of my own. And not that it's all much better. Well, and it is if you can manage it the right way. But it's just I want to keep it. You know, once you get something you get attached to it and you get used to hunting it and stuff, I just want to lose it. Right. Yeah. I know. So I know all these you. things that like people ask us now even, oh, when are you going to Wisconsin? When are you going to do this? Or why don't you come and hunt with us? Something it's like, well, where were you 20 years ago? And I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have anything. Right. And so now we work so hard and you can see, I mean, we, we got up at, you know, 6 this morning and I started farming and I just got done now and I normally wouldn't be done right now where you work you know 20 again we put in our 40 hours by tuesday and then put in another 70 after that every every week to, to make a great hunting spot and to, you know and not that we have to but more because we love it um so when hunting season comes around i don't want to go anywhere else you know it's like you want to hunt deer that you passed you know in past years and you know them and hunt on a food plot that, that you planted and you did all the work on and then not that it's you know we go to a few outfitters for a few things and there's and it's always fun no matter what you know you go someplace you've never been and you shoot a good one, you're just as happy. But, you know, if none of them mean as much to you than shooting one on your own place that you worked your whole life to buy the place for one thing and then you work so many hours putting it and farming it and improving it and passing deer and dealing with neighbors shooting stuff and neighbors poaching and trespassing and everything else that you deal with, you know, they just mean so much more to you. Right. And that's what we don't really, you know, you hear that a lot. You know, people say, oh, come to, come to New York and hunt in public property and see what you're doing. It's like, hey, you know, if you're trying to hit a home run, you're not even getting to first base doing that. I mean, I grew up in the city and right in Minneapolis, I could see the IDS tower from my bedroom window. Right. I, I didn't have anything. My dad was a bricklayer and Tiffany's was a truck driver. We didn't have a nickel. Ten years ago, our house was in foreclosure, you know, but we just worked worked our butts off to, to get something. Nobody gave us anything. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, people can say whatever they want. If I come out to your place, I can get a good, I could shoot a good one, all that. And say, well, yeah, maybe you could, but that's the house that I built. You know, nobody gave it to me. Right. So, I mean, that I kind of have a feeling that's maybe where they were getting at. Is like, go come and hunt public property in Wisconsin and see to do but hey we did that for 20 years and i got you know i had a wall of good deer before we ever bought a few properties right so, yeah you know, and i, I you think can, you can do it it takes a lot of work we like, hunt public land i was like we hunt public land for ducks does that count that counts sure uh, yeah know, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than you know obviously with your toe that's blood sweat and tears at its best there's nothing more rewarding and a lot of people never get the experience of putting out your own food plot doing your own uh, research on 
how to grow the proper the proper food plots and how to get your best poundage and tons out of your your acreage the, the reward after you've worked your tail off all year you know that 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 would be my question to you is tell me what it feels like after you've busted your tail all year long to get to the season what what the reward feeling is like at the end well, it's just like, you know, it's just such a sense of accomplishment on the stuff because, you know, still, we're just so fortunate to be in the situation that we are still, like, wake up and pinch ourselves to how in the heck did this happen, you know, just even having a career in the hunting industry. We're, you know, growing up, yeah, we hope you could, but it was never a reality. I mean, we didn't know anybody that was in the hunting industry. We didn't, um, you know, we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have any kins or anything like that that we knew anybody. I mean, you know, so you just feel so fortunate to be able to do what we do. And, uh, you know, like I said, when it comes time to, for hunting season, the work is all behind you. And it's just such a sense of accomplishment. That's something a lot of people go wrong on down that they always, you know, they sit on their Facebook or Twitter or something, you know, say, oh, bad, I could shoot a big one too if whatever. But, you know, most of us, people who shoot good ones every year, and there's a lot of people, you don't have to own the property, own property or do what we do to shoot a good deer every year. It just takes a lot of work. And I always compare it to golf. It's like, you don't go out on the golf course and, and, and go shoot a 65 you know, round. It's like, you work, you spend a thousand hours on the putting greens and the driving ranges and everything before you spend to every one hour you spend on the golf course you go to a golf course and that just shows you what you've learned on the driving range you don't go to a golf course to learn how to golf and deer hunting is the same way by the time you get hunting season your work should be done when i get to october 1st we know exactly what deer are on our hit list we know exactly what farm we're going to find them on we know exactly what field that we'll probably have our best chance of getting them on we already have all that work is already done now it's just you know putting that putting that work to use so if you're getting up, you know, October 1st and blowing the dust off your bow and say, I'm going to go out to my spot that I hunted last year and sit there and then expect to shoot a giant, I mean, you may, but you certainly aren't going to do it every year. You might do it once out of every 20 years. You know, all that work is, the real hunting is done for us starts January 11th and you go every single day till October 1st and then even through October 1st. You're still checking cameras and, and doing stuff like that. But, you know, by the time we get to hunting season, it's just such a, it's rewarding to me even to get in there because you look at all the work you've done and, and you have all all the deer that you have, you know, on your hit list. That, okay, and you just, you're just so excited because you know you've done your work. It's like going to, you know, when I was, when I was an engineer, you go into calculus class, knowing that you studied your butt off and you know the stuff. Going into those tests, you just knew it, and you're gonna go in there and kill it. But it's not, you know, it's the opposite way when you go into a test not having studied or anything. It's just that sinking feeling. You get that thing, and you're like, oh man, I don't have the slightest clue on this. Right. That's basically, where a lot of deer hunters are when they if they don't do the work all summer. It's just like anything else, you'll get out of it what you put into it. That's a great Absolutely. answer yeah that's yeah. like a, a plotting the course for your success um and, and it takes several months to get there that's awesome um let's yeah. see. i mean that really that's everything in life it's absolutely just, yeah it's not I, just a hunting story it's a life story absolutely yeah, tell people if you're if you have some athletic ability and work super hard for 20 years you may be a pro athlete if you're, if you're sharp and you work really hard for 20 years you might be able to you know be a doctor if you love deer hunting and you work really hard for 20 years you might be able to have your own place and and good hunting but right. it, it doesn't happen overnight it's you know it's in 25 30 years in the making for us right um kyle schaefer wants to know how many total acres of land do you hunt well, in Iowa, we have like 10 different farms, and it's just under 6,000 acres, but it's in, I said, 10 different farms in three different counties. So our biggest piece is probably 700, maybe, 721, I guess. Um, so most of them, like, from three to 500. Our biggest is 700. So none of them are, it's not like one big contiguous piece or anything, and I don't want it that way. Right. You know, I figure if I've got 300 acres and i got all the food and, and do all the management things that you do, i probably got all the deer from 3,000 acres around me, at least coming in there at some point. And just when you have 10 different 
places, you just got a lot more genetic potential to draw from. And then, like, we've had blue tongues were bad in the last two years. Some farms are hit by it really bad, and some are basically unaffected. So, you know, having those those different options, and I'd really encourage anybody, even if you don't own your own land, and you got one place that you hunt, and get out there and knock on doors and find more public stuff. In fact, you have a lot of options, because you just never know where a big one's going to show up. And the more options you have, the better those chances are. Gotcha. Uh, Mark Hunt wants to know if he can get some of your old bows. Well, normally we actually we actually donate a lot of them, in all honesty, for like a lot of organizations and like a lot of contests that people, do, you know, they donate them to charity then like the proceeds off them. So most of our bows from year to year, unless it's something real special, we keep a few of them, you know, just, you know, like the one Lee shot is his moose with. We have that one. Someday we'll actually put it in a shadow box. And, yeah, and that, that one bow that the XT has shot. Narrow and the moose. moose. Yep, that was last year. So that's the only one I had retired except for the one right now that is shot my first desert bighorn sheep and that's why I one of the hunts I'm most proud of, and that bow will never be shot again. I'll keep that one. But every other bow that we ever had, yeah, it could give it away. And some of them go to our cameraman, and some of them go to charities and, and things like that. But, you know, um, sure. we, we've given them away yeah. for, for people at shows, you know, that, yep. you know, there's there's been guys who come with their girlfriends or wives, and they, their wife wants to get into hunting, but they, you know, they're just a young couple, and they're just, you know, got, got married, and they don't have the money to buy one, so we'll just get their address and send them one, you know, here and there. For people. That's awesome. So, I would just depend yeah. on who it is and what the situation but we don't keep them. I mean, very few of them. They all go to somebody. Gotcha. Uh, Joey Patrick Clement wants to know if he can come cook for you um, with a Cajun flair. He's not a prof- uh, I'm not a professional looking for a spotlight, um, but I just, I'm a really good cook. No cameras needed. <laughs> See, that's a question for Linda. Have, <laughs> exactly. That would be Linda's job. That's a like, Linda question. Oh, are, you, are you willing to give, to give up that mission? <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm staying out of that one. We'll leave you that know, one for Linda. How many people offer to come and cook for us? It's so funny because I think people really truly think that I cannot cook, but it's not really the case. I actually can cook pretty darn good, but most of the time, like you said, you know, you're coming in at the guys at this time of night, and the last thing I want to do is actually make a meal. Right. Yeah, I mean, today's a good, a good example. You know, we got up at 5 o'clock. Well, we got home at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and then I got up at whatever, 5.30, and you had a bowl of cereal, and I get working, and throughout the day, I had like two pieces of beef jerky and a handful of almonds, <laughs> and now you know, you work all day, and a lot of times we're not going to get done until midnight, and you get home, it's like, really want to cook something, some big deal? It's like, I just want to get to bed, so grab a bowl of cereal and go to bed. Right, exactly. You know, it's not that we can't cook, it's just, you know, it takes the time up to spend a couple hours cooking, and then a couple of hours cleaning, and washing dishes, and stuff like I got better things to do, and tipping does too, to spend a better way to spend two or three hours sure you know we'd rather I, spend two or three I gotta, minutes and get back out i gotta admit to something that's probably one of my most memorable shows of your guys's when when tiffany had her first fried bologna sandwich oh yeah <laughs> that that's probably that my that was, that was the one that stuck out the most to me that's so awesome bucks that you harvested but the fried bologna sandwich that i, I was like raised on that and I, I was like no way i just couldn't believe it. it blew my mind i was like no way fried bologna that's what i'm talking about Nice. I'm not gonna lie, it was really good. I bet. Yep. That, that around <laughs> here, right? That around here is called Kentucky Round Steak. <laughs> Kentucky Round Steak. So you have to you have to pass that along. If somebody says, "What are we having for dinner?" and you're going to make fried bologna, you got to say, "We're having Kentucky Round Steak." All right, we'll do it. Very yeah, cool. I've never heard that before, so I definitely remember that one. All right, I've got one more question. This one is from Joe Bullard. He wants to know what kind of camera system do you use for your live deer 
rear cam? Uh, the camera, a lot of people have that, and it's, it really isn't, you can really use any camera. That's just a security camera that, you know, has both infrared, yep. except that the difference is, is to get it, you know, to your computer, and you, and if you're just doing it for yourself at home, any uh, security system, I mean, all the security systems have one that you can watch from your computer or your phone, and you can watch your office building door, so, but any security system will have that, but ours go on the website, it has to go through um, a company that does that, and it's, you know, you wouldn't do it for yourself. I mean, if it costs us like 2000 a month, you know, for all the bandwidth that you can have 100,000 people look at it at the same time. So, like, with the, well, we have the, the systems are, if I was, I mean, we do have some just for ourselves, you know, some other fields that we look at, um, you know, ourselves that aren't on our website. Notice that any security system has those now, but to get on the web, you have to, you have to go through a company that, that hosts that, that can have that much bandwidth, and that's, you know, more expensive. I mean, people, I don't assume too many people want to pay $30,000 a year to look at deer and let, have other people look at deer like that, but you can do it for yourself, right. you know, but you have to have, you know, batteries or hardwired to the camera and have to have internet service somewhere near nearby that you can run it. We just happen to have a building on that that we just have a, a computer in there and had to put a computer in there and hardwire it to there so it can run through the internet. But to do it, if you just out in the middle of nowhere, that'd be pretty hard to do other than with a cell phone type, uh, type thing. And that would only be pictures only. I don't know if you could do video really because in the middle of nowhere. Gotcha. Lee, that was a very engineer-like answer from you. I love that. <laughs> <That's> very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about differences between Lee and I earlier. Mm. Yep, right. That's great. I want to get it. I want to get into Lee. We was talking about food plots earlier, and I'm really interested in food plots. It's something that sparks my interest just because of the calculation and fertilization, pHs, and you know, this all it's all got to fall together. How much of a role? And I don't know if you was much in the food plots before you got into whitetail hunting as serious as have you have now. How much of a role did the engineering degree play when it comes to planting your crops, your your food plots, and your actually your row crops? I think it had. I think it has a lot to do with about everything we do. It's funny because you know people are like, you got a degree in chemical engineering, you don't ever use. It, you use it every day, but even part of the reason that you that went into engineering is just ever since as a kid, your mind just works that way. You want to know about everything and how everything works, and you're very meticulous about things. You know, I'll spend a ton of time on things that I never should. It's like, that's dumb. Why am I spending so much time on this? Because it has to be perfect, and it has to be, uh, you know, everything's got to be, all the ducks have to be in a row for me. And sometimes I start to think, this is stupid. Why am I wasting my time? But it just drives me nuts if I don't. And I think that, that my personality has always been that way, and that's why you go into engineering, because those are the kind of things you're interested in. But not even just planting, um, kind of everything, the way you approach deer hunting, the way you approach um, any kind of hunts, you know, the sheep hunts and the elk hunts and everything. It's just, you really, you know, everything that we do kind of, I think the engineering plays into it because you're I'm very methodical about it. You know, filming, and you think ahead five steps, you know, what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if this happens? And what are you going to do if this happens? You know, so I'm always just sitting thinking about about things. But, you know, like we're not doing equations to get fluid flow through a pipe nowadays, but you're still... <laughs> And when it comes to planting, you know, I've got to make sure everything is perfect. The soil is right. The, you know, the soil samples, what's the pH, how much lime do we need, what kind of fertilizer is it? You know, we don't just go get a triple 13 and put it on there. You know, we get soil samples of everything and, you know, exactly how much, you know, you know potassium, how much potash. And, 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 you know, most stuff we don't need nitrogen left in grasses. But you see exactly what it is and you get that exact fertilizers. And then, you know, when it's go out and run the soil finisher over, I think you've got to look at the pool table. If there's any clumps of grass or anything, you know, it drives me crazy. I've got to make sure I go over it hundred times and waste a bunch of time and I know I don't really need to but I just want to tell the perfect and same with the wheat and the fields and, and everything so I think it, just, it, it kind of your personality just anal about everything I think that's probably 
what led you to being an engineer in the first place. But when it comes to food crop and hunting and everything, it just it helps me a lot. I think it helps me be a lot more successful on things. Right, absolutely. You know, we, we talked a little bit with uh, Tiffany about you see pictures and videos of your guys' food plots. And, and a lot of people assume that somebody's putting your food plots out, somebody's taking care of, you know, and it's just the best seed and best this and that. You know, and I, I told her, I called, it, I called it out, that's bull crap. You guys put the time in, you take the time, you do it right. And that that's why your food plots are awesome. Yeah, it's funny because people, we have so little time, we have so many demands out there now. People want us to come and do this and that and every bathroom and Cabela's and Dick's and everything. Can you come and do this? Can you do commercial and other stuff? And, you know, our time is just so limited. But when it comes to April and Norman, we're shutting it down. i got to be here for food plot stuff. And even though it never works because we've already done two commercials uh, and a bathroom appearance and turkey hunt in Missouri since April started and that's only been a month. But it never works that way. But can people tell me all the time, why don't you just hire somebody to do a food plot? You know, and these are, you know, different companies and stuff. And it's some you can't. I got to get food plot stuff done. I was like, that is what I enjoy doing. And it's like, if I if I can't even do that, then I'll just go back to being an engineer. At least I'll have the weekends and the evenings to do what I want to do. Because of now, you know, that you got so many, so little time. It's like, that's the stuff that I enjoy about hunting. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't hire somebody else to do that. I mean, I do have two guys here to help with like our, uh, our commercial farming stuff, which I used to always just rent it out but now that we've gotten bigger and bigger equipment and just got a combine two years ago so I might start doing that myself but yeah I don't let those guys touch any of my food plot stuff I might let them go and run a disc over something but 99% of the time I get there and I'm ticked off because it's not done right and it's too clumpy and there's too many clumps of grass in there and it's, uh, two days later those clumps or those roots are going to re-adhere and I'm going to have clumps of grass all over and so most times I said no like today even the two guys that had, were done had nothing to do nope you're not running that throw finisher over those fields those are my most important food plot fields you can I we were gone last year, and they said, oh, we'll plant those. When I was gone, they decided to go do it. No till it. Of course, none of them came up, and then we had the drought. Couldn't get anything else in. So I was like, nope, nobody's touching those food pots this year. Yep, yep. And uh, now I do every one of our food pots. Right. And hang every one of our stands. Like 600 stands. That's nothing. I don't let anybody put up any, any tree stand. Partially right. because I want them to be perfect and straight and you know, comfortable. And anything. But in other parts, you got friends and stuff come and home with us. And it's like, I got to know that they're safe. And you got lifelines on every one of them. And somebody's not going to get up there and fall out of one of them or something like that. So I got to put every one of those up. So it's a big job, you know. You got 600 stands every year to go check them and trim them and make sure that new straps are on all of them. Plus, you know, we have 103 different fields that are planted for food plots, you know, 400 acres or 450-some acres of food plots. So... You know, if it was all just one big field, a 400-acre field, it wouldn't be that bad. But when it's 103 fields and 50 miles apart in three different counties, you know, it's, it's 70% of your time is moving. Oh, moving yeah. Moving tractors and moving equipment, and it's just a big puzzle putting it all together, uh, you know, what to do first and where to start and everything. But, yeah, you know, that's what I love about it. If, you can't, if I couldn't do that kind of stuff, and it's like no sense of even doing this, doing this job. If I had to hire somebody to do that, I probably like about it. Right. Me and you probably get along great. I'm, I'm anal about it. If I go pull in and plant corn in a field, and they've been in their field cultivating, I don't want see no tire tracks yeah oh me too i can't stand it i almost make them come redo it like ah man you cannot i can't plant somewhere especially on the road frontage if you've picked up the fuel cultivator made a turn and left the tractor and cultivator tracks tire in track. only, yeah. only, the only thing i want to see there is the planter tractors that that's it planter and tractor mm-hmm. that's it and <laughs> if, I, if, somebody crooked, if somebody were to plant my cornrows and one was if it was crooked it would drive me crazy i'd almost have to go out there and re-disc it up and replant it because the rows are crooked <laughs> 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 i look down those rows i want to have them perfectly straight i want to uh, be, you know me uh, and you see eye to eye i, I can't okay <laughs> I, I, i'm gonna tell you a quick story about me they we, we had 240 acre fields it's all road front it's just kind of in the bottom so 
you can see all of it. They uh-huh. went in, two other guys, that one guy normally don't side dress corn. So he goes in and he, he runs side dresser through it. Like a week later, I'm like, man, I know there's one row there that they skipped. They got to <laughs> it. They had to skip it. it. You know, it's two inches shorter than the rest. So I took uh-huh. it. I took, I took the side dresser, unhooked all the rows except for the one they missed, except for one row, and went in there. I had to side dress that. I couldn't stand to look at it. <laughs> you just, yeah. Oh, I know. I would too. I oh, I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't I would stand it. Take it. I'd get. Uh, I couldn't side dress it that way. I'd get this nitrogen in the hand gear, and I'd go out there and I'd hand fertilize that one row. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I could farm for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just don't let anybody else. You know, I let them do the cash crop stuff. I don't care. That's your deal. You know, on that. But when it comes to food pot, that's my deal. Right. And, uh, right. Yep. Anybody else. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Guys, what would you say or what what's one tip that you would give to a hunter to make them more successful? One tip to give to a hunter to make more successful. One tip? One tip. Uh, boy, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, had an hour to go into some of them that are, you know, a little bit more in depth. But I really think, um, see, the biggest one tip. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. You 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 get it probably food plots that you've got to try to do something, even in places that you know if you just have somebody that lets you hunt. And I did I did it for years. I mean, look, I, I mean, I'm gonna be well, I'm gonna be 48 in a few hours. 48. 48. Yeah, <laughs> in a few hours. So, I mean, you look, I've only had this property here and started doing this right. for 10 years. Well, happy birthday, by the happy. way, Lee. That's that's great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, but, you happy know, birthday. 38. You know, 37 when we started doing the shows. I mean, I had, you know, 25 years of hunting before we ever had a show, before I had any property. Right. I mean, it was that time I finished, like, you know, like master's and stuff, you know, all the years of college and stuff and started working and getting enough money to buy anything. Um, yeah, it wasn't like I was 20 years old. So, um, but even then, I mean, my biggest deer that I shot up until Heavy D two years ago was on a 10-acre piece in Blaine, Minnesota, kind of little clover field that was probably a quarter acre that I planted. And that was 177 is typical. It was the biggest net typical that I shot up until um, uh, heavy D a few years ago but so much of it has to do with a little food pot and sometimes I think it can be kind of a pain uh, to do it and people just don't want to spend the time except it really isn't that hard and it really doesn't you can really do it without a lot of money and, a, and without a lot of equipment you know because um, it's really food is the key and, and you know you, you can hurt people that way and that you know it's kind of like bathing food pots and like that's how you hunt you hunt ducks on water you hunt snow geese on cornfields that they're eating you go fishing you have put bait on your hook that's how you hunt you know you gotta most animals especially get older animals they're eating or sleeping if it's not during the rut and it's like well you're not gonna probably not gonna find one when they're sleeping so you got to get them when they're eating that's what you hunt so food is the most important thing it doesn't even have to be you know food pots that per se i mean it can be a, a ridge with white oaks on it that are really dropping or something but you got to know where those places are and it takes a little bit of work either way you do it it takes a little bit of work and uh you said you don't need huge properties you don't need you know a bunch of big equipment you just need to have a passion for it and, and a desire to shoot something better or bigger than you ever have and, and be willing to put some work into it. I, I tell a story here that at a seminar that we bought, we had a 60 acre piece next to one of our big farms and a guy from Wisconsin owned it and he had it for about 10 years. You know, he had it before we had our 400 acre piece that ordered it. And of course, of course, you know, since we had it, he was seeing some better deer. We still never shot any. He shot like 130s and stuff and he was starting to get disgusted with it and he was like, I, you know, you have all the food and you have all the good deer. I mean, they never come on my piece and you have to see all the deer you guys are shooting over there and I just never get any of them. I just, I'm going to sell it because I, you guys have all the deer in your property. They don't come over here. And it was a 60-acre piece and had a 17-acre piece in the middle of the RP, which is grass. Mm. And I always said, because it was an old mud 
road that goes in between the two. But it's, it's, it's private now. We have a gated on both ends, but either one of us can use it. It's just a, you know, it's an access road for us, which is nice. It was an old county road, but now it's blocked off. Now it's just a road in between our, our farms that's gated on both ends. So remember, I think that would be walking in, you know, that would go in to hunt that farm that way. And it's probably one of our best farms where I shot Arrow Barkley and, you know, a ton of our good ones. But I've always was looking at that grass field. And I'm like, man, if he planted that, it would kill us because it's not that far off to where we have our big, one of our big food plots. And we always run out of food on it. And so finally he sold it to me last year. So I got in there and it literally took me, it was grass. That I, we sprayed it and waited for it, waited for it to die and ran the disc over it and planted it in corn last year. It literally took me four hours of time and maybe five or six hundred bucks. And you're talking a guy that spent how much money on that farm and, you know, for out-of-state tags, come from Wisconsin to Iowa and the driving and everything else. Yeah. You know, five or six hundred dollars in a couple of days is nothing. You know, you can spend that on, I mean, the guy spends that on two every two weeks. So when he sold it to me, we went and did that. And it was just almost like the perfect storm because the big the big food plot that we have, that couple hundred yards off that road, which shoot a lot of our deer on, was one of, was one of the fields I told you one of our other guys tried to no-till it last year and it didn't come up in beans and, and then it got so dry. And so we had to put in winter wheat and it still was so dry. We hardly had any food in that. And which normally it's a you know, 15-acre field of corn or beans. But I was so lucky that I did that cornfield and the corn came in great in that thing. And that was like 17 acres. I had one little bay of it that I did in alfalfa and then one in, and the rest of it in cloaks, like 13 acres of, of corn and or 13 acres of corn and that little three acre piece of, of alfalfa but we started mowing that corn down in late season and Tiffany and I were sitting out there and after she shot her butt got Sandman on that on that piece on like December 23rd well I sat there and we looked at each other every single buck that we know of on our place that we had spent 10 years trying to trying to raise and letting them go was on that deal we said we could have shot every single deer that we spent you know a million bucks on the 400 acre farm or more and the 10 years of food plots and, and passing those deer and everything else somebody could have come in there and bought that 60 acres and spent six or seven hundred dollars in two days and killed every single deer that we had on there. That's crazy. And that no just goes to show you that I tell that story a lot because you then you don't need to have a giant piece of land. You don't need to have big food plots and you know equipment and all that stuff. It's just you just have to have better food than your neighbors. You know, your neighbors manage and that kind of thing. But not a lot of people do. Face it, you know, you got a little piece that you know next to somebody else. You just have to have better food than they do, and especially late season to have some. Because everybody's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, my, I got to live next to a farmer. He's got 200 acres of corn and beans and everything all over, and I got a little five-acre food plot. Yeah, the difference is October one, his corn and beans are gone. They're combined now. Now you have the food, and you can move them all over to you. But that was a, just a perfect example, and just like that biggest deer that I ever killed, you know, tell Heavy D was on a 10-acre piece that I took a four-wheeler and just chewed up a little piece inside a little track that the guy's kid had that he rode his, his four-wheeler around. So there's an oval that he rode his four-wheeler around. I found in the middle of the clover and I shot the biggest deer, you know, of all the food plots and the shows and the different places we all get to go. You know, now that we go, we have an opportunity to hunt a lot of places. Still, I'm 21 years old, so 177-inch typical 10-point on 10 acres. And that stood mm-hmm. as my biggest deer for 20 years. You know, so it doesn't take a lot. It's right. Not just shooting big deer now that we have, you know, farms and the show and all that stuff. We were shooting good deer long before when I had nothing. Right. So it takes it takes some work and some, you know, to, to want to. Just like the guy from Wisconsin, yeah, he liked hunting and he enough to buy a place and to come down and everything, but just wasn't willing enough just to go that extra step. It's, uh, it's crazy you say that. Um, real quick for me, eight acres, did some tuning to it, got some bedding areas made up, let some cedars grow up, and adjoined a 100-acre piece that is pretty much farm ground and no hunting. Everybody says, oh, you'll, you'll never shoot nothing on that eight acres. Oh, I got lucky in 2010, 174 and 7 eighths gross. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. eight acres. Yeah, it's, it's a fact. You know, you're, that's a great point. Great small lesson. A, yeah, small acreage is phenomenal in the right location. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it's just it doesn't take that much work either. I mean, there's another story. We had a Whitetail Properties had a, a farm that was sold a couple of years ago, and they just couldn't sell it. It was just all timber and had a big deal. It used to be a big crop field, like 200 acres, and it was put into um, like a wetlands project. So that previous owner had taken the money for it, but so you couldn't do anything with it. You couldn't farm it. You couldn't. I mean, it was a one-time payment to somebody else. So it was basically just a big wetlands. It was good bedding cover and stuff, but you know, you couldn't make any income off it. So that thing sat there forever, um, no income and no, you know, no food pots, no place really to put one. Um, and for one, what was there? So me and a friend of mine bought it. We got it for a song. I mean, like 1,700 an acre or something like that when everything else was going close to three or 25 at the minimum. And it was like, because, you know, everyone was looking at it, was no income and there's no food on it. So we went in there like in two days with a dozer, made a road through there. And some of the edges of that WRP stuff up on the edges were just small trees. We took all those out on those edges. And then up in the timber, we dozed in three places that were on high spots that had maybe been pastured, maybe a hundred years ago or something. You know, that's just kind of the little scrub brush and you know, the little locust trees and, and cedars that were no big trees. So it was really the two days worth of work with that dozer and got, this, I don't know, maybe total 3000 thousand dollars maybe but here we had now we have this piece and even though it's still no income on it but we have 20 some acres of food pots on it now and it's just like for all the time it sat there you know even with whitetail properties having it and so many people overlooked that because they thought well we can't really get food on that for deer or anything like that it was just really not that much work three days and uh it's got this beautiful food pots in there right now and heck that two years after that was we had the biggest deer we've ever had on that farm it was like a 230 or something and then he broke himself up a bunch so we, so we laid off him. I, I had him in range a couple times and then finally broke enough stuff. I was like, no, I'm not, not, not going to shoot him. I want him to you know, go another year. We'd been watching him for three years. So it was like on the third year, the second year of us owning it because we just hunted it, released it the year before. And uh, then he died that year. Found him found him dead the next year on our place, but mm. which is a shame. But, you know, that one had been for sale for a long time. And they got some whitetail properties. They're friends of ours. So they said a comment and I saw, you know, that deer and a bunch of other ones. I said, there's a lot of deer on here. There's just no food. There's no way to really hold them on here. So I think the neighbors will shoot a lot of them because there's a lot of crop ground around around it. So when we bought it, now we just got everything socked right in there and it had the biggest deer that I've ever, we've ever had on any of our properties on it too, um, second year after we had it. But it really wasn't that much work, you know, hmm. for all the people that passed on that property and didn't buy it because they just didn't think they could do much with it. It really wasn't that much work. And it, it, it's easier than you think to get good food plots in places. Gotcha. You may not think that it, that, that's possible. That's a great lesson. I mean, just a very strong message for, for food plotters. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, you got to set your mind to do it. And it's, it's not that expensive. I mean, I got, I got every every appearance we go to, I got kids that, you know, they have even property. They might be even like teenagers. And, they, you know, they well, my dad has property, but I don't have money to put the food pots in or something. And I was like, well, I see a tin of chew in your back pocket. You know, you probably spend $1,000 a year on Bud Light and Copenhagen over a year. You, you just, your priorities aren't the right spot. <laughs> there you, there you, you go. You don't have the money. You just don't have the, you just don't have your priorities in the right, right spot. If you want it, you can get it. Right. Just got to figure, figure out the plan. Um, <laughs> right. right. We could go on for a long time, uh, you guys. And oh, yeah. we, we've chewed up about two hours of your time, and we greatly appreciate it. Um, That's I, fun. I, I sit and talk to you all, all night now that I'm off the tractor. I'm not in any hurry. <laughs> well, let's let's plan on doing this again down the road then. Uh, we'd love to talk more, yeah, for more sure. deer hunting with you guys. Sure. 
Linda one time. And Linda. Oh, yeah. We want Linda on the show, too. Yeah. Yep. We, we, I, I tell you what, I, I've been fortunate to be able to talk with Linda. And, you know, it's almost like I've, I've connected with her because I can sense, I was telling Tiffany that she's a lifeline for you guys. And what, she, what you guys mean to her, she means double to you guys. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we, I talked to Jay when I first started talking to Linda. I just sensed that, you know, she's a great person and, and she does takes it to the extra mile for you guys and we would love to have her on the show and hopefully we can get her to uh, agree to come join us oh she will awesome awesome very cool yeah well if, if the tv thing doesn't work out for you we've got a spot for you on the big buck registry yeah absolutely i can i, I know every horn that i found up that i picked up 10 years ago but i can't remember what i had for breakfast it is that's excellent mm-hmm very cool. Definitely definitely check out the Big Buck Registry on Facebook and uh, Twitter, and we'll share you guys, and hopefully we'll see us on your page a little bit. And uh, I, I think Saturday, will. right, Jay? Cool. And awesome. how, how, should, uh, how should everybody reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Um, well, you can do it a couple different ways. On the Crush.TV, which is our website, all of our like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts are on there. And, um, I'm and pretty, our live camera. And our live camera, yep. And I'm pretty good about writing back on, on Twitter as much as I can, except when I'm in the field, because I, I, I truly can't do two things at once. It's like I can't drive the tractor and tweet. So I do really good when I'm on hunting, but uh, I try to get back to everybody who writes us on there. But yeah, there's lots of ways you can get to us. Yeah, Twitter's the best. Tiffany does all that just herself and get back to about everybody that, that you know gets on there to us. Awesome. Okay, very good. Um, well, guys, this has been fantastic. I am uh, very grateful for you joining us tonight and, and sharing all your, your story uh, about your life and how you got to where you are today. And just uh, a great story, great American story. And thank you very much. Hey, we appreciate that. And thanks for being patient with Lee coming on. Sorry it was a little bit late. <laughs> yeah. No, we're definitely, uh, Lee, you're, you, we're going to reschedule and we are going to talk a little more deeply into some food plots, into some uh, row crop and, and kind of give a, breakdown of a little more detail on that. Yeah, anytime. You just have me date. Yeah. Oh, boy. After, anytime after dark, I'm good. I, I got from like yeah, definitely. 8.30 p.m. till 2.30 a.m. is about my time. <laughs> out, so. All right. Let's do, right, an- yeah. let's do another show on just food plots down the road then. That'd be, that'd be very cool. Yeah, that would be yeah, absolutely. That and other strategies, other, you know, other hunting things as well. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's multiple things that we get into. And, right, there's uh, multiple things we get into and it, our content Content is you know try to really get the word out to our listeners to make them better hunters to be a little more successful and that, you know I think that's what every hunter's uh, having good content on the show for them to be able to learn a few things from and we, we kind of push that quite a bit you know not only do you guys kill awesome bucks you grow awesome food plots so yeah yeah and there's, there's a lot of things you learn like, I was telling you that I'm not a deer biologist thing but I look at them every day um, so you learn a lot of a lot of things and there's some things that you you wouldn't you wouldn't think just some things that I thought you know even three years Years ago, I would have said something totally different, and then that you kind of figured out now, and you're like, hey, you know, just from what you're seeing, and you know, it's different. It's some new things, some things that I bet you people would have not thought about it that way before. So that'd be yeah, we we'll, we'll definitely yeah, we we'll get into that, and you know, I I got Linda's number, and and I'm gonna keep a great relationship with her because you know she's awesome, and it's a way to get in touch with you guys, and and uh, we really do appreciate you joining us, and we look forward to the next round. Yeah, yeah us too. too, you guys. Thank you again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great night, you guys. Anytime. Yep. You too. Take care. All right. Thanks.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, uh, thanks again to Lee and Tiffany for joining us on the show. That was fantastic. You know, I, I look forward. Thank you for sure. But I look forward to getting them back on and seeing what we can dig a little deeper into. You guys connected, you and Lee, about the, the food plots and the and the farming. You know, we, we see eye to eye on that. There's a precision there that's got to be met. as a standard that me and him both, I, I can see that we have set high standards on what our fields are going to look like before the planter hits the dirt and after the crop is up and ready to be harvested I, me and lee could get along great with that and yep. i can see eye to eye no question and and i i connected with lee as well about the science background and because i have a science background too totally understand where he's coming from um and love all the social media and the internet stuff that that tiffany's doing that's definitely up my alley as well so absolutely you know and what they do for their fans is phenomenal you oh. know that i give them a, a that that deserves an award yeah. you know the de- they, the dedication that they give to their fans it's and we've witnessed it with our own eyes not just you know we're, we're not making this stuff up we watched them stand and meet and greet every single person in a line that was at least what would you say um at least a football field long for oh. pretty much from 10 till close time. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal. You know, it was awesome to see that. It was it was awesome to meet them in person at the Great American Outdoor Show there in Harrisburg. And, uh, you know, from the moment that we stepped up to talk to them, at the end of the show, nobody else was there. They, they was wore out, you know, that, but they took the time to talk to us for a few minutes and get us hooked up where we can get in contact with them and have them on the show. And from that point on, it's just progressed from talking to Linda, you know, Tiffany's mom my gosh she's a great woman and I I appreciate everything that she's done for us and being in contact with her great woman uh, great outlook on life and she's definitely uh, somebody that I could call and talk to every day she just has that personality that you know she's loving caring and that she wants to help you and and that was awesome it's just been an awesome experience and we look forward to having him back on the show several times in the future yeah I mean Lee's got a you know he's got his little his playground down there um, and uh, is it's almost like he's, he's experimenting with what works and what doesn't with food plots and man, what a, what a great laboratory he has created for himself and uh, he's willing to share all that knowledge with all his fans and hopefully we can, we can get a lot of good information from him on the show in future shows. Yeah, absolutely. It just it, it may be able to take your food plot to the next level yeah. by what Lee tells you because he's doing it you know, year after year after year, he, the trial and error has been there. He, he's done it. You know, he's, he's definitely, he'll admit to it. He's failed. He's figured out stuff that's making him successful now where, you know, before it was costing money and, and not producing. And now that he's got it figured out and he's willing to share that. And that, you know, in my eyes, that's, that's worth a million bucks when you have somebody that's doing it uh, on a larger scale and that can tell you the ups and downs and what to do and not to do is that in my eyes, that's priceless. Yeah. He's giving back. He's, he's taking his knowledge and sharing it and giving backs and that's that goes a long way man with your with your fan base and it's just a, a quality they're both quality human beings just awesome great americans yeah absolutely you know and real personable and we can talk to them and, and obviously anybody that uh, approaches them can have an opportunity to talk to them and, and they're no different than anybody else you know yeah they're successful in the hunting industry but they're they're down to earth human beings and and like they said they're rednecks and they're you know doing really good in the whitetail industry yep yep and uh just love them they're just great people yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for joining us, Lee and Tiffany, and we look forward to talking with you in the near future. Definitely. Uh, Dusty, how can uh, people find you? 
facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors chubby tines at hotmail.com jay how can the people list get in touch with you at the big buck registry all right a bunch of different ways if you want to share a picture or if you're looking for a share for share type situation on facebook um, it's facebook.com forward slash big buck registry uh, twitter is twitter.com forward slash big buck registry you can send me an email to jay at big buck registry.com and if you would like to give us a call give us some feedback about this particular show or any of our other shows, 724-613-2825. And you can actually use that to text a picture and a story about a deer you might have harvested um, instead of sending it to Facebook or emailing it in. You can send it to that that or text it to that phone number. Um, and then always go to iTunes and uh, give us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think about the show. And uh, you know we appreciate those five-star reviews. But if uh, you know we're a little off the mark for something that you didn't like, that's okay too. But Neville, if I find you on iTunes, I will hunt you down. So... Um, anyway, that's uh, I think that's about it, Dusty. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and thanks for uh, tuning into the show, and uh, we look forward to what we got to come in the future with you. Absolutely. All right, man. Uh, I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips, and this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait. Yeah.